Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Hey everybody, welcome to Performance Anxiety. I'm your host, Mark, and I want to thank our sponsor, AKG, for sending us their Podcast for Essentials kit, which has this amazing Lira mic and these great headphones. If you've ever thought about doing your own podcast, this is the best way to get into it. If you're a fan of shoegaze, this show is meant for you. My guest is KJ Moose McKillop of the Shoegaze Pioneers Moose, but more recently of the non-supergroup Peroshka. The Moose is the band that spawned the term shoegaze, or rather the term was spawned during one of their first live performances. If you don't know that story, definitely need to go look it up. Moose talks about how the band changed their sound from shoegaze pretty early on. He also talks about meeting Jeff Buckley in Atlanta and his longtime connection with Mickey Berenge and Lush. After a long hiatus, Moose formed the band Poroshka with Mickey, Justin Welch of Elastica, and Michael Conroy of Modern English. Follow Poroshka for news about their upcoming release and some possible tour dates. Follow us at Performance ANX. Rate and review us to help us meet some new listeners. And we love it when you buy us a cup of coffee at ko-fi.com slash performanceanxiety. Merch is available at performanceanx.threadless.com. So grab a pint and some snacks as we revisit some amazing times with Moose McKillop on Performance Anxiety, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. I'm just going to make sure I don't fuck up, you know. Okay, so you're listening to uh, Moose, from Moose, and also from Poroshka now, and um, I've been talking to Mark on Performance Anxiety. Hope you've enjoyed it. Oh, no. We, uh, hang on. Hope you've enjoyed it means that comes at the end. Do you want something for the beginning? <laughs> 
I uh, went to use the bathroom real quick and the toilet seat broke. Oh. So, <laughs> so I'm like, ah, this may be a little too much, but I sat down all of a sudden, the whole thing just went. And they're, not, they're not built to last. No, nothing is. No, they're, 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 no, absolutely. Talk about built-in obsolescence. Yeah, <laughs> like your phone, my computer. <laughs> It's everything around us. I mean, everything I'm looking at now, all the tech, it'll, it'll, in about 10 years' time, it'll all be in landfill. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know. Absolutely. Um, it's 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 a horrible thought. It really is. I mean, I, I don't know. Before we get too far into things, I just I want to thank you for, for doing this, man. This is uh, this is awesome. I'm really thrilled to, to have you on. Uh, absolute pleasure, honestly, really. And um, it's been a long time coming. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. but the, the good the good thing is, you know, there's a lot to talk about, really, because have we started? Oh, yeah. I, as soon as... Oh, okay, I, that's good. That's I do the Neil Young approach. As soon as we connect, I start recording. Okay, okay. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> um, because we've... Um, something I mentioned to you a while ago, maybe about a box set, mm-hmm. Um the, the the ball has started rolling on that now, yes. so which is really good because um, it's just lovely of Simon to and Belly Union to want to do it in the first place because they were never really involved in with us. You know, we we were, we were on several labels, right. um, but he's he's determined to sort of get everything together in one package. Oh, that's um, awesome! Yeah, I'm so um, happy to hear about that. Yeah, so that's that's it's going to take a while because. Heart Records, I think they they was Virgin. They're now owned by Universal, I think. Oh. And there's all kinds of stuff that's probably just in you know in in some office basement somewhere covered in dust that yeah. you know nobody knows how to access. Well, that's got to um, be the thing. How that's got to be so hard to track down a bunch of that stuff. Yeah, because we did um, uh, we did. What, what did we do? We did a few EPs on Hut Records, then one album, then we did a single on our own label. Right. Then we did, then we're on Play It Again, Sam, for a couple of albums. Then I think the the last album came out on Le Grand Magistry in the States. Okay. Um, so that's, you know, that's already, we're already into four labels here. Yeah. Um, uh, I, yeah, and I, I don't know if you're anything like me, but if you know, on your your own stuff, it's almost as hard to find as somebody else's label having it. Like, yeah. If you told me, "Hey, go find this picture you took," you know, 15 years ago, like, oh shit. But one of the uh, the ways I like to start things off is to find out about how you got into music. Was guitar your first instrument, and were, was there a lot of music playing in the house? Was what was what was getting into music as a kid? There was a lot of music in the house. Um, uh, I grew up in um, quite a typical Irish um, working class family, so it, it, I grew up with what everyone, all my, all other kind of like English-born Irish background people call country and irish okay um with plenty of elvis thrown in on top so it was it was a typical a typical sunday would be my mum playing i don't know folk music like um whether it was things that were well known like the dubliners or mm. the chieftains or Planksty or lots of uh, traditional music christy moore and then, no actually really i think yeah he, he would be a bit he would be a bit mainstream. She was really, wow. I mean, really traditional instrumental music, you know, like, oh, wow. you know, like 
pipes, pipes and fiddles and that kind of thing. And then my dad, it was Johnny Cash and Elvis, and uh, that was the mix. I'll tell you, the mix uh, was that that thing? Uh, yeah. So, so your dad was into Johnny Cash and Elvis. John, yeah, that kind of thing. Uh, my dad was one of these. Again, uh, I don't want to sort of you know get too cliche but a lot of irish guys they they like their westerns their cowboy novels um you know that kind of stuff that was into that kind of mythology really you know the the old west oh yeah Um, so that that kind of that any any music that referenced that country music um that was his thing so country and irish is is a is a, a thing that people recognize almost as a as a kind of a musical lifestyle of the 70s i, I think that there might be something in the uh, gene pool with that because my dad uh, you know i'm i'm I don't know, 90% Irish. So my dad was the same way. It really still is. You know, he's, he loves country music, old, old country music, you know, yeah. Waylon Jennings, Willie. And, uh, he loves the traditional Irish stuff too. I mean, it's just, and the movies he loves, he loves the spaghetti Westerns and, and yes. Yeah. It must be something just- in the DNA. I, I think so. I think so. There's just, I think that there's something so romantic about it as well. The Irish wanderlust. Know? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that that the diaspora that you, everywhere you go, yeah. you know, there's, you'll find an Irish pub or an Irish bar. I mean, you could be in the outback of Australia or you know, in some village in New Zealand, and you'll you'll find somebody. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. yeah. So that was the that was the, the first kind of music that was in the house. Okay, you know that that um, that we would listen to, and then of course, you know, just having the radio on in the seventies meant you were exposed to, well just all the, all the seventies pop music that went from like glam to disco to just things like ABBA. Yeah. You know, just, just, just pure seventies pop music that was always on, you know, when we were having our breakfast, that kind of thing. Now, do you um, remember when growing up, cause you know, I was born in 73 and also, do you remember growing up in that time period, music, the, the stations playing a wider variety of music as opposed to things seem to be a lot more pigeonholed now. Yeah, I, I think. I just don't know if I'm imagining that or not. No, I don't think you are. I think obviously the the same with television channels. You know, there are so many yeah. radio stations out there. You know, for us there was radio Radio One and Radio Two, BBC <laughs> radio stations, and they just and they did play a variety of pop. You know, you would you would actually hear Elvis. Um, and then you'd hear a disco track and then you'd hear ABBA and then you'd hear all, well, just Gary Glitter or, you know, the sweet or that kind of thing, Mark Bolan. Um, and then the more, yeah. And the the more commercial uh, side of of punk, because you couldn't avoid it, you know, things like the Buzzcocks or whatever as as the seventies wore on. Um, so the radio was always on. And then I suppose, when did I, I think my, my first instrument I probably got in about 1980, 81. It was just around the time of my 18th birthday. I got uh, a synth, just a little synth and a bass guitar. Oh, wow. I, 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 I could play nothing. I, I mean, I had no musical training at all. I tried learning the trombone uh, at school. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, we had a, a good school orchestra. Uh, the problem was with an instrument, well, well, with any instrument, you know, you, you obviously have to practice. But we had a <laughs> we had a rotor for bringing home 
the, uh, the, the instruments from school, the brass instruments. And I think it was like every other weekend or every third Saturday or something, oh, wow. you could take the instrument home for the weekend. But I wasn't allowed to practice because, uh, well, a newbie on a trombone is, it's not particularly pleasant. <laughs> and and uh, when, when your dad is suffering from a raging hangover, as my dad always was, <laughs> I was always told to, um, to put the fucking thing away. <laughs> <laughs> um, and <laughs> stop, stop. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it was ridiculous. So after after about it was less than a year, and um, my music teacher noticed that I wasn't making any progress at all. That that those weekends when I should have been, you know, practicing for four or five hours on a Saturday and the same on a Sunday, it just wasn't happening. Yeah, and um, so I just I gave up. Oh, um, gosh. Um, which is a which is a real shame. Um, cause it's a, I, I, it's a lovely instrument and I love brass instruments, but, um, Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I've got, th- I have three brass players in the house. Oh really? Oh my God. Yeah. My, my oldest daughter, who's a senior in high school this year, plays the, uh, uh, trumpet. My son is the middle. He'll be graduating next year. He, he plays the tuba and, uh, they, they all do marching band too. So he, transitions to the sousaphone with a marching band and then my youngest uh who's a sophomore plays the french horn in band and the uh mellophone in marching band how did they all end up uh, with brass instruments Uh, is it one following the other or you know it's kind of funny because i i love music i bang around on a guitar but i've had very few lessons um don't i can't read music i used to be able to read it a little bit but you know, I kind of lost that, but I always loved it. And I always thought it was really important in development. And I wish I had I had gotten lessons and learned more. So when in middle school, so like sixth, seventh, eighth grade, the schools will have, uh, I don't, I don't remember what they call it, but they'll, it's like an open house and the kids can come and just grab an instrument and try to play it. And the music teachers are there and they will see if, if anybody has an, a natural proclivity towards one instrument over another. And uh, so that my daughter just, they had her try like saxophone and a couple of things and she grabbed the trumpet and she actually blew a note and they're like, right. Wow. Okay. Uh, why don't we, why don't we you, you do that? So same thing with my, my son, he won't admit this, but I will guarantee you this is what happened. He goes to the same thing the following year, picks up the tuba because it's funny, because he's a skinny little guy and the tuba is enormous and he's got the, uh, he's got the comedic thing going and he thinks it's going to be funny. Hey, I'll pick up this big tuba. And that's how he ended up playing the tuba. Right. And Maggie, I think she just liked the the look of the french horn and, and she, she tried a bunch of things and, and i think she didn't want to do the same thing that her sister did and didn't want to do, you know wasn't even going to come close to doing a tuba so now it's it's just kind of crazy and, and so my house can be a cacophony where are you again in I, the states i'm in winchester virginia okay so yeah 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 about okay. 90 miles literally due west of dc the home of patsy klein Okay, <laughs> I love Patsy Klein, so I, I got to say right, that. Right, right. Yeah, asks. me too. Yeah. <laughs> so, because I was, I was just trying to think about time. So, so you, this is, this isn't a bad time for you, is it? Like, it, this is. No, know, no, no, no. This is a great yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like um, it's not even eight thirty yet. 
Yeah, but yeah. So I, I actually, um, uh, I've got a trombone, which oh, wow. uh, uh, somebody gave to me a while back, and I thought, oh, do you know what? I'll get some lessons. Um, I had a couple of lessons, and uh, <laughs> the the guy said, um, you know, you're gonna have to, you're, you're gonna have to start from scratch. Oh, I mean, wow. I, I, I mean, really, I, the my, I just couldn't keep a note going. My breathing was awful. Um, wow. He said, you know. You know, this is a long time ago that you, you know you were playing a long time ago. Yeah. Um, and then when <laughs> when lockdown when lockdown happened, you can imagine what went through my mind. I thought, okay, this is this is it. This is it. Now's you my know, time it, to shine. You know, in a year from now, I'll be Glenn fucking Miller. You know. Um, <laughs> and honestly, we've got we've got a soundproof uh, room in the garden. Oh. Nice. Um, but it's for Ivan's, Ivan plays the drums and so. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, so he's got, we, we've got a load of gear down there. We've got amps and stuff set up, but oh, it's nice. his drum room really. So I, I was in there and um, <laughs> I just thought, I became so self-conscious. I was aware that it's quite a loud instrument and even in a, in a, even in a relatively well soundproof room, the neighbors are just going to be laughing their fucking asses <laughs> off at, 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 at my, well, you, you said, you know, the tuba, can has has you know comedy value yeah. well you know a badly played trombone is is just as <laughs> hilarious <laughs> catastrophic oh yeah. man so i didn't last very long <laughs> so it strikes again the trombone yeah. strikes again so all right yeah, so yeah. would a guitar really come into play was it just the music that you were starting to gravitate to no the guitar is a weird one really um you know in the early 80s i kind of I, you know, I tried to form bands. Um, I had a good go. I met some nice people. Nothing really worked out. And then kind of 80, 85, 86, I, I was busking on the tube and I had a, an acoustic bass guitar. Um, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I, I bought an acoustic bass guitar. I was, again, you know, not a great bass player, but, you know, I could bang out a tune. And um, I used to go busking with this Australian guy, Darren, um, who was over in London for a while, and he was a really talented musician and songwriter. But we used to go busking, and we'd do um, monkey songs, Beatles songs, oh, uh, nice. Doors, just, you know, classic 60s pop tunes. Yeah. Um, and um, then his visa expired, and he had to go back to Australia. And, and there I was with a nice 12-string acoustic guitar, completely unable to play it. Oh. And I thought... I, I can't go busking with just an acoustic bass. Right. So I just forced myself. I sat down and over a period of about three or four weeks, I learned just three, four, five chords, you know, just open chords, C, okay. D, E, F, blah, blah, C, D, E, G, C, blah, 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 blah. Right. I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a trained, I'm not a, a music student, but right. I could play some open chords, which meant I could play, some of the songs that we used to go busking with, so I could go out on my own wow. and um, and busk. And so I, it, it was really the, the cliche of like from hunger. You know, it was um, I was unemployed. Busking was um, a way of making money, and uh, I just thought I, I need, to, I really, really need to learn the guitar. Wow. Um, or, find somebody else to go busking with, um, which which is possible, of course, but um, I didn't want to waste any time, so. It, I was driven by uh, the need to kind of just get back out working. Um, and so uh, that was it. And then, I mean, I, I'm not an accomplished guitarist. I, um, I, can, I can busk. I can strum a little bit. 
Um, I'm one of these people that is very happy that effects pedals exist yeah. in their in their multitude. And um, I love effects pedals. So I, I kind of I see it as a tool for writing songs. I think that that's that, that's the guitar for me. It's 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 um, I'm not one of these people that can sit and talk about pickups and yeah. you know I, I just i don't do the tech stuff if, if it looks nice and it sounds nice um i'm happy and that's it really but by i think i busked for a few more years and really enjoyed it and then met some other people through busking and we used to go to gigs a lot but i think yeah that's when i kind of learned to properly play by having to um <clears throat> like i said i'm no muso at all <laughs> but to be able to actually just hold a tune for a couple of hours um, and uh, hold a few tunes for a couple of hours and um, make a bit of money on the underground. That helps, man. It, it, was, it inspires it you. It was, it was really good fun. You know, I met, like I said, I met some excellent people and um, I formed a whole new friendship group. Okay. Um, See, and that's, was, that's just one thing. I don't back I'm not sure exactly. Let's see. So you, you're probably what in your late teens or so doing this early twenties. Uh, I was uh, early I was yeah 20 2021 when I started busking 21 22 early 20s yeah there yeah. is no way I could have done that at that point I had no confidence in in doing that at all I didn't have confidence in really anything when I was that age so there's no way I could go out in public and and, and busk I would have just been a disaster so oh I I I, I mean I had disastrous moments <laughs> Well, it was because um, I think uh, it was Darren actually who um, who I think said, "Come on, let's just do it," you know. And, and I I just thought this is insane. I'm standing in an underground station. Right. There's people walking past. We've got our guitar cases on the floor for them to throw money into, and I'm I'm playing and I'm I'm singing and it, and I was nervous. I mean, people are only going to see you for like. I see and hear you for five, 10 seconds as they pass you. And, right. um, you know, you could, uh, sometimes you could play the same song for 25 <laughs> minutes, you know, <laughs> and, but, but it was good because you, you perfected. I'm a believer. Right. Or, <laughs> or, um, I saw her standing there or something. You just play the, you, you know, you'd be playing these songs for hours. Wow. I didn't, yeah, I didn't think of it that way, man. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I mean, because they're just walking past unless, because they've got places to go. They're not going to sit there and, and listen. No, nobody, for... nobody, nobody, nobody ever, there's, nobody ever creates an audience. They're just, you know, uh, you just get, you know, a bit of sympathy cash. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're standing there, you know, looking scruffy as hell. Yeah. And, um, you know, look, you look like you haven't had a proper meal for a few days. Yeah, and, um, which might be just, true. Well, actually, yes, sometimes. Uh, yeah, you, you, there's no audiences there at all. So, But like I say, it was, it was a good grounding for me because it gave me a bit of confidence. And also, like I say, I suddenly switched from being a bass player, not a very good one, to being a guitarist, an okay one. And then I think, what, the, what was the next step? I... It was from people that I was hanging out with. Oh, gosh, yes, yes, because there's a connection here. The guys I used to go busking with, um, they were art students um, at the Slade in London. Okay. And um, we started going to uh, a club uh, regularly. And it was a club that was run by 
a Douglas Hart, who is the bass player from the Jesus and Mary chain. He had his own little club night. Oh, this cool. was again mid 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 eighties, mid to late eighties. And he used to um have a regular little club night. It was very small, cozy, maybe you know, hundred people was a good night. You know, usually there was fifty or sixty people there. And it was a guy that DJ'd with him, who was his friend, Stephen. And we got chatting, we made friends, and that's when he's me and him, uh, he'd, I think he'd already formed a band called CC Rider, which I then joined on guitar. Oh, wow. So that, was my, that was my first, like, proper band um, after all these years of playing around and jamming around. And suddenly, I was in a band. And, um, and we rehearsed like crazy. And it was, um, it was kind of, uh, it was really good fun. I have yeah. to say more than anything else. I, I'm, you know, all the people involved were, were really, really excellent people. It was uh, one, one of the, one of the guys was a guy that I used to busk with, and Stephen and his girlfriend, and uh, and we had a drum machine. So it was like two guitars, bass, two vocalists, and a drum machine. And um, it was kind of, sort of sleazy, garagey, <laughs> a bit of Velvet Underground. Oh, yeah. Um, Kind of just rock and roll, a bit of Bo Diddley. There was a lot of, you know, dang, 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 dang sort of yeah. guitars going on. Uh, there's a lot of Bo Diddley. And kind of, um, it was just, oh, God, I, I have to say, I look back and I think that was that was a happy time. Yeah. That really was. I was had no responsibilities. I was in my mid, early to mid-20s, busking, being in a band, and living a fairly cheap lifestyle, but happy poor but happy yeah yeah i know that i'm still yeah. poor but yeah <laughs> i have more responsibilities than i'm poor <laughs> well this is the thing yeah absolutely yes but uh but no response no responsibilities is good but the thing is around that time i i decided to um uh, go back into education because i realized that lots of my friends had been to university and i'd skip that okay. thinking that i you know when i you know when i was much younger thinking that oh maybe i'll i can form a band or something mm-hmm. so i um i um i started uh, a degree course um and i started the degree course the the week literally the week that cc rider did their first gig so we did our first gig I started my degree course and I thought, you know, I have to make a choice here. I can't dick around doing a band anymore. I've, I've got, even though I've done one gig. <laughs> uh, and I had to go to poor old Stephen and Tracy in the band. I said, I, I'm, I'm going to leave because I really, I really want to concentrate on college. And, um, you know, I'm 25 and I'm starting late. You know, there were, there were other mature students on the course, so I d- didn't feel too self-conscious, but I just thought, I can't do the two things at the same time, which was, people do, yeah, um, of course. And so I, I left CC Rider <laughs> after the first gig, and um, it, was, it was funny because Phil from Lush, he joined CC Rider after I left. Oh, wow. He did a few, he did a few gigs with them actually. I think he did a little tour, Phil King. So he he joined them for a bit before he was in Lush. Wow. Yes. 
Yeah, so there's a real overlap of personnel and friendship yeah. groups and and little scenes that I mean everyone kind of knew each other. Uh, you know, as I mean, London's a big city, but in in certain music scenes, it suddenly becomes a village. You know, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, so. yeah. I've, I've heard that a, a lot. You know, you hear about all these. You know what else? Is, it's kind of funny. It's funny how certain things overlap, like you'd said. Then there's also the opposite which is really weird. I'll, I'll give you a quick example. I've been incredibly fortunate to interview some amazing people with this podcast. And one was Mark Lanigan. And oh yeah, yeah. when, when he came on, I was, he's in one of my favorite albums of the nineties, mad season. You know, he plays on a couple tracks. He sings on a few tracks. And I asked him about how that formed and, and all. And uh, one of the weird things I discovered was that, so the band is Lane Staley on vocals, uh, Mike McCready from Pearl Jam on guitar, Barrett Martin from Screaming Trees on drums, and this guy, John Baker Saunders. Um, I don't even, he was from a jazz outfit, I think. And Mark Lanigan sang on a couple of tracks. Mark had, he'd never met Mike McCready before from Pearl Jam. They didn't know each other. And you always hear about how it, it's, this, it's this big uh, collective, almost incestuous group where everybody knows each other and everybody helps each other out. Yeah. And they hadn't, they'd never met. Wow. But, and he was best. Now, Mark was best friends with, with Lane, which is how he got in. But, you know, it, it's just amazing how in, in some cases people just tend to overlap and, and find themselves together year after year in, in different projects. And then yeah. other people in the same, you know, they're, they're 10 minutes and one band degree of separation from each other and they almost never meet well me and mickey have got a, a funny little story that um when we were together when we first i can't remember whether it was as a as friends or as a couple but i do remember we had a conversation about gigs that we went to in the in the early 80s and um uh russell who's the uh the singer in moose he um he he told me that he he was at a, a gig once and the gig was a band called the March Violets. They were from Leeds. They were kind of a gothy band, a bit like um, Sisters of Mercy kind of thing. But 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 um, I think they used a drum machine. I think they were a drum machine band. But sort of early early eighties, eighty three, eighty four. Okay. Now I remember I remember going to that gig, and there there were only there were fewer than twelve people in the audience. It was honestly fewer than twelve wow. people. Now it, it transpired that I was there with two or three friends. Mickey was there with two or three friends, and Russell was there with two or three friends. Oh and we didn't know each other. So there's one other group of like two or three friends or that three none friends. of you knew. None of you, none of us knew. <laughs> yes, exactly. But it was it was funny because we we wow. talked about that gig, and it was kind of I was at that. There was nobody there, and it was wow. like so was I. There was nobody there, That's and it was. Oh yeah, it's, it's you know, it's so it's so funny because you know you do. I mean, I mean, and we're talking literally rubbing shoulders with people because you're jumping around dancing. Yeah, they're, they're perfect strangers, and years later, you know, it's just a kind of a just something that makes you literally laugh out loud. It's just, <laughs> like, it's just staggering. I thought, yeah, that we, is amazing. We were the audience. That's God. So basically, half of your family was the audience for that show. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. so all right, so you brought up Russell. How did you meet up with Russell and and start playing and and creating the band Moose? Well, here's the 
is of the um the weird thing after leaving cc rider with the um with the excuse uh that <laughs> i can't i can't do two things at once i i i got a part-time job at the record and tape exchange and they, they have shops dotted all over west london and one in camden and it was it's a real typical studenty job the guy sells secondhand records and and tapes and whatnot and um he only employed students to work there he just assumed that like if you were an undergraduate you were intelligent reliable and you know you'll you'll get on with it and you'll just uh you know you can be trusted right um how wrong he was um <laughs> but um yeah, mind you i don't want to say anything that might incriminate me i um, think but statute of limitations <laughs> is probably up probably yes exactly um but <laughs> But, but basically, my first day, uh, my first day there, I was sent to work in one of the shops. I walked in. I said, "Hi, I'm you." And Russell was there. Russell was there, um, and we got chatting, and we had a really good day to, together, just just talking about stuff. We just, we just hit it off immediately. You know, we went and had a beer at lunchtime, and then we started hanging out. And then, I within six months, I think he said, "Let's let's form a band." Because he played guitar, and um, let's try and form a band, and and we did, and he, um, you know, he, he took up vocal duties, guitar. I did guitar. We started writing songs together. We got some other people in, and um, I was still a student. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I'd kind of gone back on. I'd reneged on on my my initial idea that I couldn't do both <laughs> things at the same time. Because of course you can. Um, but you just discovered a new talent for multitasking. Yes. Yes, go. exactly. <laughs> yeah, multitasking, being a student, working in the record and tape exchange, and being in a band. I actually then, I, 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 suddenly I'm doing three things. And, um... We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. But yeah, but no. So it was, it was great. It was just an, it was a, an instant friendship. Same taste in music. You know, we yeah. we we like the same things. You know, I know that's kind of uh, it's, it's it's obvious that you know you you form a band with people that are, are often into the same music. But it was uncanny that he he liked you know exactly the same things as I did. And well, I mean, uh, yeah, so you that, that show. <laughs> you said that that you the twelve person show. I mean. It was meant yeah. to be. Yeah, ex ex exactly. So it, our kind of history, you know, the things that he liked in the eighties, I liked in the eighties. Yeah. The things that that uh, I mean, now by, by now we're up to what ninety one, ninety. Hang on, eighty nine, ninety. So yeah, we're just moving into the early nineties, and um, it was a good situation to be in because we had a lot of time. You know what it's like when you're a student. There is work to be done, but there's a lot of free time also. Oh yeah. Um, you know, we're in London, we're going to see lots of bands, we've got lots of friends. I mean, one of the, the nicest things was um, we, when we recorded our first demo, 
which we definitely did in 1990. I remember it because I was we were in the studio watching some World Cup football, so that was definitely Italia 90. And we um, Russell uh, Russell had been in a relationship with Emma from Lush. Oh, okay. They, very brief, you know, like I think less than a year, um, maybe you know six to nine months, something like that. And she really, she was very sweet. But I, they weren't still together, but she took all our demo cassettes. We we copied off I don't twenty copies <laughs> onto a cassette four track demo, and she sent them out to Creation Four AD. And wow. with a little note saying, "Oh, this is my ex boyfriend's band. I think you might like this." Wow. Um, she was she was great, you know. I think it was very sweet of her to yeah. kind of she she just went round and did a bit of, you know, promotion for us. That's amazing. Um, yeah, yeah, it was really really lovely. And then around the same time, I think it was either just before or just after we did the demo, we got our first gig supporting Lush. So, jeez, wow. um, yeah, it was just in a weird way. It was kind of we almost didn't have to do any work because you know we didn't have to kind of you know, canvas for, for support slots, you know, yeah. um, Emma, Emma said, no, no, come on, we're, we're doing, we're doing a London show and we're doing a warm up show outside London, do them both. You know, you uh-huh. can't be the main support for the London show because we've already got, they had Swerve Driver as the, the support. Oh, so we, man. we went on before and just did 20, 25 minutes, it's a really short set. Well, we only had <laughs> really I think we only had about six or seven songs at the time, and one of them was a, a cover version of a Roxy Music song. Oh, um, wow. so, so we didn't have very much to offer at the time. But uh, I, um, this is so weird. Um, I, but I got, I've got to be, I've got to tell, I've got to tell the truth. We, I, <laughs> I went down to the, I went down to the guest list area to see if one of my friends had arrived because we were given like a, like ten five or ten spaces on the guest list okay and um we we i went down and um there's a, a music journalist that write that writes or wrote for the enemy called simon williams and i'd met him a few times and I, uh we we had friends in common and he he was he couldn't get in he wasn't on the on they they messed up the guest list oh wow and just as I'd gone to check the guest list and I said, Oh, we've got space on our guest list. And he said, oh, you're playing. I said, yeah, yeah, we're, we're doing it. We're supporting. We're, the, we're on in about 15 minutes. So I got him in for nothing. Oh, nice. Um, uh, on the guest list. And the following week, there's a review of the Lush gig in the enemy. <laughs> and the first, par- we get our first review and it's a paragraph in the enemy. And it was just lovely. Oh, just said really lovely things about us. And I just thought, that's very sweet of you, Simon. You're a very nice person. And I know that's because I know that's because I got you in. And you're just returning favour. Um, and so, so it was our second only show. We did. We played the the first gig in Windsor, just outside London, the the night before as a warm up. And so our second ever gig. It's our first London show, and we get a review. And um, and then we got interest. Wow. You know, we had um, we we had. Um, uh, in fact, the night of the gig, we had people coming up asking us if we had a manager and if um, this is a, I work for such and such a label and blah blah blah. Um, honestly, we were we had so much luck at the beginning. Well, um, I have it a... dried up. I... <laughs> 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 Within months, but you know. all right. So I have a question: How did you get the nickname Moose? 
oh that was when i was a student um it was yeah i started on i started my college course and the student bar had a they just had this selection of beers but there was this new at the time beer called moosehead which is like a just a i think a a canadian lager or whatever and there's nothing it's nothing particularly fancy or whatever but it was cheap yeah um and, (laughs) and so um it was every time i went to the bar it was just be as someone was going to buy what do you want to drink get me a moose head get me a moose head moose head became my nickname and then within weeks it was reduced to moose <laughs> and that was it and so it's um a nickname i've had now for like 30 33 years yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um it's it's so funny there are there is lots of people that i've known for many years that don't know my name that's it they don't know my real name um, <laughs> so I've, I've had people people come up to i think i'm sure people have come up to mickey and say what's his real name you know, <laughs> for like a for a birthday card or something like that and it's like no 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 just put moves on a that's, birthday card oh my god that's hilarious then I thought I would lose the nickname when the band. Uh, I, I I was really against calling the band Moose because I thought, no, um, <laughs> if it was if it were if it were a solo project, and I was a singer, then fair enough. Yeah, but, um, I'm just a guitarist and band. And but Ru- Russell was um, adamant that it was a really good name for a band, and I just thought, no, <laughs> any, anything, anything, but but. Uh, yeah, it, it was fine. It stuck as a band name, and, it, and I haven't lost it as a nickname, so I'm, I'm all right with that. Oh, see, I was afraid when I was asking you, like, it was from my childhood. I don't want to talk about it. So- <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. no, it was, it was, it was just really just a real studenty, studenty nickname, and um, yeah, that stuck. Okay, so the first time I ever heard the band's music was on this uh, compilation. Uh, the Strange Fruit compilation. So it's the Peel Sessions. Okay. And I think Hut had put it out. Was it a load of Hut artists? Yeah, it was uh, It was Moose, it was Verve, and I was an enormous, and I still am, an enormous Verve fan. I don't even, I still don't even like to add the definite article in front of their name. So it's called Strange Fruit, the Hut Recordings, the Peel Sessions. So, oh, it also had uh, Smashing Pumpkins on it and Revolver. Of course, Yes, I forgot that the pumpkins were on. Yeah, they were on hot. They were on hot in the UK. Initially, I don't know whether they changed to Virgin at some point, but they. Yeah. But their first, the first album, for sure. They were. Is, is it called Gish? Gish is the first oh, one, Gish. and that was in the US. That was on Caroline Records. So okay, but all the singles that they came out and the little EPs were all hot over here. They're all imports, which was like the bane of my existence as a. Uh, teenager early 20s in, in the 1990s because those were expensive you know you, oh yes the, the, okay you know i'd pay as much for a single with a couple extra tracks on it as i would for the entire album 
But yeah. I found if I liked a band, I became a completist. I wanted everything. And especially with bands like Pumpkins and, and Moose, Verve, you know, I, I found that a lot of the B-sides all were just as wild and, and, and exciting as the album tracks. You know, they weren't just throwaway yes. songs. No, 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 no. Um, I mean, when we when we went into record EPs, I think um, we, I'm pretty sure that we did three EPs before we, we actually got in to do an album. And I, I think at the time of recording, we never really knew which was going to be the main track, the one that we do a video for. Certainly the first two EPs, it was... I'm, I'm pretty sure there was some it's such a long time ago now but it, I'm sure there was discussion as to oh shouldn't shouldn't it be this why are we choosing that one and that, that's that's not the lead track for me right. um, but uh, I think we always kind of or I certainly I did I always bowed to the, the advice that either the record company or management would say so you can't possibly have that as a single it's a it's slow it's a ballad it's got to be the up-tempo one or you know that kind of thing and i always just went with with that advice so so when we were recording when we were recording those four track four song eps we didn't really know which one was going to be the lead ah. track yeah over here, it, the, it was so hard to find Moose stuff. In fact, the only thing I could find was the Sonny and Sam. Um, Which is the compilation of the EPs. Yeah. yeah. didn't get it because i couldn't afford it so the only thing right. that the only thing that i had was the uh the strange fruit compilation and i just listened to that over and over again because each of the bands on there was just amazing and it was the only thing that i disliked about it was that the band i actually bought it for was verve they only had one track on there but oh okay it was okay because it had the pumpkins which i already had the pumpkins track but i got to hear you know moose and revolver so i was like all right i'm gonna just i, I just kind of wear the cd out and i didn't have to skip anything because i knew i loved everything on it so it was a great album to put on and just i was a photography student at the time right so i would i would uh either i take the stereo into the uh, dark room just put it on and just put repeat and just shoegaze stuff is just incredible to do dark room work anything in the dark with really <laughs> So I'd be sitting there developing film or, or uh, making a print in, in complete blackness or with the red, the red light on. And it was just, I don't know. There's something about that album. It, every time I put it on now, I, I'm just brought back to being in college in a dark room. You know, I, I don't have a copy. I've never owned a copy of that. And really? I don't think, I, I don't think I've ever heard it. Oh, Wow. I, now I'm going to have to try and find that now oh, because that's... I mean I'm not I'm not a completist type of person. To be honest, I own I own less than half of our back catalogue. Wow! I don't even have a copy of our last album. Oh wow! Uh, yes. Well, here I'll tell you what. If you if you want to find a copy, if you go to Discogs, I love Discogs. That's that's one of my favorite websites. They've got a 
copy of the Strange Fruit recordings. There's 29 of them for sale from $2.39 on them. Oh, wow. So, That's a bargain. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what shipping is, but let's see. You might be able to find one in the UK. Yeah, I probably will, actually. I might have a look. To me, that's that's pretty wild that, that I don't know if that's common or not, that, that artists don't have a whole lot of their own recordings. That, that to I, me, is amazing. I've moved around a lot, um, uh, and I've lent stuff out. Um, I, I'm, I, I never keep an eye on these things. Yeah. You know, you know, some someone will come up to me and say, oh, this, here's a book you lent me five years ago. And I think, <laughs> oh, shit. You're right. <laughs> you I know, yeah, yeah, I, I completely forgot. So I kind of, I'm not particularly um proprietorial about things so i kind of you know i'm sure that that someone somewhere has got a guitar of mine or an effects pedal you know i'm the exact uh, opposite my wife makes fun of me because i will i will look i've i wish i could show you right now this room's a mess but behind me and around me i have bins of of probably 3500 to 4000 cds and if if one of them is is missing I just like feel it. It's you feel it. You sense I, it in the room. I, I do. Like my, my kids will go in and they'll come and borrow some of my stuff occasionally. They they know dad's got a pretty extensive collection. So they'll come in and they'll browse through my stuff and I'll walk in the room and I'm like something's different. What's wrong? Something's changed. I literally had a cardboard single uh, of cigarettes and I was doing something and I hadn't seen, I hadn't played it in years, but I started cataloging my CDs to keep track of them and I couldn't find it, but I knew I was missing it. I'm like, I don't know where this thing is. And my wife's like, you are ridiculous. <laughs> I'm like, I, I know, I know, sorry. I'm, I'm sorry I am the way I am. <laughs> but I, 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 wanna, I do want to find out a little bit about the sound of Moose because an article about one of your shows really defined and named the shoegaze scene. However, mm. pretty soon after that, the sound evolved a lot and you guys did not sound shoegazy. No, no, there was a, I think we, when we first started, we, we thought, you know, th that we could do everything with guitars and um, effects. And I think what we were really aiming for was to, you know, write some nice songs that you could actually play on an acoustic. They were all written on an acoustic guitar. I mean, oh wow! All okay. Kind of acoustically written, um, so you could you know play them on a, on a. I had the same twelve string. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's in the house. It's somewhere in the house. I've, oh I've wow! The, my, my old busking. I think it might be in the loft. It's a. Uh, in fact, it is in the loft. Um, <laughs> it's the twelve string that um, I used to go busking with, and most things were written on that 12 string guitar wow um, and hey you mind if i uh, borrow that i'll give it back to you in like five or six years yes yes <laughs> you, you, you'll never have to <laughs> <You'll be fine. laughs> that's so weird because i was thinking actually where the hell is it but i think it's in, in the loft we got i mean you know mickey's got a ton of guitars in this house that wow are, you know i mean ridiculously collectible stuff um i'm looking at some now they're everywhere um but um uh but yeah the, the loft is full of them but, but but my old 12 string is up there and um oh, wow. so things were written on an acoustic guitar then we'd go into a rehearsal room and we'd try and sort of 
well, just trash it out, you know, and just suddenly you've got amps and effects pedals and yeah. we try to kind of like bring a bit of, because I think much as we like things like good good songwriting, whether it was Tim Buckley or Chris Christopherson or whoever, we still liked Sonic Youth and Dinosaur Jr. And yeah. so there was an element of kind of wanting to harness that kind of, I mean, I was a massive fan of Dinosaur Jr., I have to say. I know. I, I, oh. I remember I, I saw them a few times in the late 80s and Christ, they just absolutely blew me away. I mean, maybe some of the best gigs I can remember that, that they were so powerful. Yeah. And they, they had songs. I mean, they just, yeah. you know, I, they were just. It, it wasn't they, just noise. No, oh God, no. No, no. There was that, there was a real feeling of like, of, um, I don't know what it was. They just, they had, they really had something. I saw them support, um, this would have been about 80, not 88, uh, when Daydream Nation came out, Sonic Youth came over and they yeah. did a couple of gigs in London and they had Dinosaur Jr. supporting them. And it was staggering. Oh, Honestly. man. That, Honestly. Wow, what a noisy show. Oh, I mean, this was, uh, this is, uh, for me, it's peak Sonic Youth. Yeah. And, um, and Dinosaur just sounded, Dinosaur Jr. just sounded uh, unbelievable. It was just a fantastic gig. And, yeah, it was 88, 89, that kind of time. Yeah. And um, so there was always an element of like wanting to write songs and, but wanting to have that kind of noise and power. And, and, but I think when we, when we started writing for the first album, which I think we recorded in 92, we started writing the songs around the end of 91 and into early 92. I started demoing them. And I started just using just more acoustic instruments and adding some keyboard flourishes here and there. And we demoed a bunch of songs that, that re, where we kind of stripped it back a little bit. And then it was a question of finding the right producer because I think we, we didn't want to work with somebody who was going to go, okay, you're those guys that you're the shoegazy guys that want to be all pedals. Right. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure that there were conscious conversations. It was a conscious decision. There were conversations where we talked about maybe like having something that was more beautiful and something less less noisy, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so we were looking at all kinds of people to produce. I, I remember um, wanting, oh God, uh, the, um, the, the 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 guy that produced um, the REM album Life's Life's Rich Pageant, which I, I think is their fourth album, Don Fleming is it? Uh, I'm going to Google this. Uh, possibly, I know he did a lot of work with Screamy Trees too. Uh, okay, I'm sure that's his name. I'm just going to Google it on my um, on the Don Google machine. Fleming, American musician. Yes, yeah, Screaming Trees, Sonic Youth, Teenage Fan Club. Yeah. Okay. Oh wow. Yeah, he's done well, a lot of stuff, man. Wow. Yes. I got it wrong. I got it wrong. It wasn't Don Fleming. It was Don Geeman. Don oh, Geeman. okay. So, uh, God, my memory's going. So, not not actually, when you look at his work, not quite so cool. Um, <laughs> um, I'm not a fan of Hootie and the Blowfish. Oh, um, no. Um, neither am I a fan of... Wow. He's worked with Chicago. I'm Coffee iffy on that. That's cool. This can't be right. This must be right. No, no. It says he also produced Life's Rich Pageant. 
Wow. Wow. Okay. So that must be the most alternative thing he ever did in his life. Yeah. It sounds like R.E.M. was trying to go Crosby, Stills, Nash with that album then. It's, it's my favorite R.E.M. album, actually. Yes. <laughs> it's a, it's a, which is why we, we, we went looking for... So, oh, yeah, so that's it, producers. And there was also... Um, so David Boyd, who was the head of Hut Records, the um, kind of A&R man head of the subsidiary that is Hutt. Uh, he, he used to work out of the Virgin offices on the Harrow Road in London, but they had their own little floor. Okay. So, you know, but they, they kind of, they were, an, they were an independent offshoot. So there was always this idea that it was, it was a major label, but right. they had kind of indie credibility. Right. You know, yeah. Um, unless you were an indie purist, in which case they had no credibility. Yeah. At all, you know, <laughs> but, but except they were putting out, you know, Verve and Smashing Pumpkins, etc. Yeah. But he also suggested, and we went to see them. There's a band. There's, they're two brothers. They're kind of a bit crazy. I just can't remember what they're called. And in fact, maybe Don Fleming had something. That's where I'm getting Don Fleming from. Um, I will remember the name. They're two brothers. One of them plays bass. The other one sings. And we. I think David was interested in getting them to produce our record. Oh. Do you remember what? I hate myself. Yeah. For not, for not, oh, one of their album sleeves is a pastiche. There's a Beatles album that only came out in America where they're all in white coats and they've got yeah. babies. Yeah, the butcher cover. Um, the butcher cover. These two brothers have got um, an, an album sleeve that is a parody. This is a pop quiz now oh, for you, isn't it? Yeah. It begins I... with B. B not, not Beezer. Not. not oh. oh, my gosh. I can picture it. Why? Yeah. Oh, I mean. Anyway, so the, these guys, these guys, <laughs> whoever were, they were, whoever they were, um, they were also suggested, and um, we went along to see them live at the Underworld, and they were um, they were pretty out. They're kind of an out there, a bit kind of not as extreme as something like the Butthole Surfers, but there's a, there's a, certainly a kind of a surreal element to what they do. But it, it was it was David Boyd who who ultimately suggested. Listen, Mitch Easter, never mind the guy that did the fourth REM album. Get the guy that did the first the first two REM albums. And, That's not um, bad either. And and he was in a band called Let's Let's Active, um, and he's from North Carolina. And I remember that. Yeah. So Mitch came over. He flew over and he met us, and we played him some demos. And again, it was one of those. You know his record collection is the same as our record collection kind of thing yeah um and um he'd just been working with a band called super chunk super chunk oh yeah was, i like yeah. super chunk yeah and we went to see them play they played in london at the time we were recording so we went along to see them play he just produced their album and he was just a just a really lovely lovely person and a, a superb producer yeah and an amazing guy to work with in the studio and so he came to london stayed in london a few months and we recorded the first album and this is when we decided that we'd get strings real strings real hammond organ wow. and i think that's when the sound changed the first the the first album proper is we, we kind of we, we thought we were leaving something behind and moving on and you know we did
one of the things that I found so fascinating was that, like you said, you incorporate all these different sounds, organs and strings. And this is, that album was what, nine, came out in 92? Two, 92, yeah. So yeah. that's several years before a lot of the other bands in the shoegaze scene at that point started to incorporate that kind of thing. You know, Verve did it in, in uh, what, 95 on History and a couple of tracks on, on Northern Soul, but, you know, even Oasis... And, and and even just non shoegaze bands, alternative bands, they started to incorporate acoustic songs, and you know bands that were known for being heavier and and yeah. dreamier even didn't really incorporate this. As you guys going looking back on it, to me, one of the really early in, uh, bands to incorporate sounds that you don't normally uh, associate with shoegaze, dream pop, alternative yeah. music. Absolutely, I think it was. In a way, I think it was, you know, when we were working with Mitch, it was the idea that we we were maybe trying to capture something of a late 60s, early 70s sound. And we thought, you know, when you've got someone like Mitch Easter who knows how to get that sound, I think I think it was a there was a real like I say, it was it was it wasn't an accident. Okay. It was it was it was something that we we really wanted to do. We really wanted to make it sound like something I suppose timeless. The, the problem with that is that it's not because, I mean, my favorite band, my favorite record of all time is Forever Changes by Love. It's my, I, I, uh. I, I, it, it's Love is just, it, it, that's just a beautiful record with strings and brass and, yeah. you know, and harmonies. And it's, and, you know, we were listening to things like Pet Sounds as well, lots of Beach Boy stuff, Holland and um, the, the late 60s and early 70s Beach Boy stuff. And I think we were trying to maybe, go for a bit of that uh, go for a bit of that sound did you um, guys think that was more of a, of a risk based on uh what was popular at the time yes it was it was a risk and but we just thought maybe the songs will be enough that the, the fact that yes it's it's a cleaner slightly more retro sound but yeah. we thought you know maybe the songs will be strong enough for it to be um you know for, for that not to matter but but we never really got the chance to <laughs> to find out because we got about three months after the album came out, we were dropped. So, uh, um, so that what what I thought was really cool, and I didn't realize it until researching everything, is that Dolores O'Riordan plays with you guys. I mean, and this was before the Cranberries debut album comes out. Did you know her from the scene or? No, no. What happened was, um, and it's so sad as well because she was such a sweetheart. Yeah. Um, we were going off to do our, it was our second tour. You know, every time we released an EP, we did a, a little UK tour of about 10, 15 dates up to Scotland and up to Manchester and Newcastle and places like that, playing to tiny, tiny audiences. Honestly, outside of London, nobody came to see us, really. <laughs> you know, if we got 100 people at a show, it was it was a result. Oh. You know? <laughs> and, um, and believe me, um, that didn't happen very often. Okay. Um, yeah, so so our, it was our second tour for the Cool Breeze EP, which had Suzanne. We'd done a, we'd just done a, a video for that, and we went out on on tour. And the Cranberries had just come over. They were they were sixteen, seventeen years old. Wow. They were. I mean, I think she was seventeen. There, there, there was there was nobody in that band that was actually in their twenties at the time. They were all eighteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, that kind of age group. Um, two brothers. And they were just from really close knit, uh, small town in Ireland, 
um, a re- you know, really, really uh, off the beaten track kind of place. Yeah. But you know, they had a they had a, a demo that that had attracted a lot of attention. They had a manager. She had an astonishing voice. Yeah. Uh, and they had some lovely, gentle songs. And uh, they were signing to Ireland. They think they signed to Ireland. And we almost signed to Ireland. We knew the guy there. And um, he persuaded our manager to um, say, Moose are going out on the road. The Cranberries, they've never played outside of Ireland before. Just would they take them round? Look after them. Make yeah. sure everything's okay and be nice. Don't be too <laughs> drunken and, and horrible. Yeah, there's um, teens. Yeah, and 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 they were they were delightful. They were. I mean, she, there's so many stories written about her yeah. and her shyness. You know, singing with her back to the audience. You know, she was just petrified. Yeah. Um, and I don't blame her. I mean, the fact that she was on tour with Moose meant that she was singing with her back to no audience. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, she, if she had taken the trouble to turn around, she'd have realised the only people, the only people watching her were us. Um, but and you know, you know, an old man and a dog. But, but it was it, no, I, I kid you not. Some of those, some of those shows uh, that we played on that. I'm, I'm not almost embarrassed. I'm embarrassed for them. Oh, the cramps, okay. You know. Cranberries had to go on, and and we, we just couldn't we couldn't seem to pull a crowd outside of London and maybe Manchester and Glasgow somewhere like that. Played a really small crowd, yeah. <laughs> but um, so we we knew her, and I think we did. A, there was another gig, and I'm again I I have to check. I don't keep a diary or anything anything like that. Mickey keeps a diary of everything, so uh-huh. you know. She knows every gig that she's ever been to, and blah oh blah blah. Gosh, um, yeah, she yeah, tweet yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, she, you know, if you if you if you ask her, did you ever see blah blah blah? She said yes eight times <laughs> on the fourteenth of January. On the fourteenth of January, nineteen eighty four, I saw them support blah blah blah. Oh um, wow! But um, so I, I I don't really have a record. It's all it's all in my head. Yeah, I, um, I try to do that too, but because uh, my brother swears that we. We saw Oasis in Atlanta at the Tabernacle in like mid nine, mid to late nineties out in Atlanta, and I don't remember that at all. I know he went. I don't remember being what? there. He swears I was there. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't. I don't drink that much. I'm not that big of an alcoholic, but I don't remember. But if, it. You're, if you're going to lots of gigs, I mean, they they, they all blur into one sometimes, don't they? They yes. do. And I I used to keep all my ticket stubs, and if there was yeah. a, a uh, like an opening act that wasn't on the stuff. I try to write it down so I would remember. I just actually recently came across. I put them all in a sandwich bag because I was I'm moving around a lot and I didn't want them to get ruined. And I recently just found them and I'm like, oh my gosh, I remember this show. Like, I, and, and holy crap! Like, I, there was a one of my favorite shows was a band Morphine and a band called Sixteen Horsepower opened up. I actually went to go see Sixteen Horsepower, not Morphine. So it was just. I had forgotten that I actually it was morphine that was the headliner. I I remember seeing sixteen horsepower, but we played with morphine. Oh, really? Hang on a minute. Did they? Oh, was it codeine? Oh, hang on. No. Did morphine have a sax player? Yeah, Dana Carley, uh, a, a bass player that sang, who who sadly passed away. Mark Sandman. Yeah. We played in Brussels with them. We played a gig in Brussels. Oh wow. Yeah. They were one of the weirdest bands I think I've ever seen. I've never seen anything yes. like it, to be honest. No, the guy, he played like a weird slide bass kind of a 
sound and then Dana Colley yes. Dana Colley, he, he would play two saxophones at the same two time saxophones. yeah 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 that's right like Roland Kirk or something yeah. like that it was just like just but it was, yes and it, but it wasn't just a, a a gimmick I mean he could actually do it which was incredible no no, no ab- absolutely yeah absolutely wow they were um, that was they were pretty insane actually that- um Yes, morphine. No. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I was trying to remember. Um, we played with the Cranberries again. The House of Love did, um, they did this thing where they did three gigs, three shows in one day in London. Oh, they wow. did a, an afternoon show, kind of like evening kind of thing. Then they went and played uh, a big show at the Town and Country Club, the Forum. And then they played a late night kind of clubby show uh, like going on the stage at 11 o'clock or half 11. Oh, so wow. they did three three shows in one night and we played the middle show, which was at the Forum. And I'm absolutely certain the Cranberries are on that bill as well. I think it was the Cranberries, Us and House of Love. And so by then we, we'd we got to know them. And I, I think I moved down to, I moved to Wales for a while. And I remember the Cranberries turned up, they played a gig down in Newport and they just cross that line into becoming famous uh, they were they, they arrived in this this tour bus that was one of those kind of i think they'd just been playing some big show in germany yeah and i think it was either just before or just after they they hit the big time in america and i went along to the gig and i had a chat with dolores before the show and she, she obviously this is now three years on from when she was this really shy girl that couldn't face it and she yeah she was transformed yeah it was a it was a you know so confident and you know same band yeah same three guys backing her the, but yeah so i think we asked if we got in touch with the record company and said would dolores be happy to sing this is what we were talking about sorry we're right ready. oh yeah on, no on, X, on xyz <laughs> um and she came in and um she did two tracks she did two songs. Oh. Um, one of them ended up on the album. for that to be the other track to be on the album because it was actually I think it was my favorite song that we did in the whole sessions oh, and wow. but we never I don't think we even mixed it I think we did a rough mix it was decided that ah we it's not it's not for this album and it was it was quite a country song actually it was like there was no hiding from the fact that it was it sounded like a country ballad and wow. but it, I really loved it. it had a beautiful trumpet solo and um and we never, we that was it. It's gone. Wow. I mean, I mean, it'd be nice if we could dig it up for the box set because yeah, because wow. it would be, um, you know, it was, it was, it, it was such a beautiful track. But like I said, it never got mixed. It was only ever a rough board mix of it, and so we never got around to giving it the full treatment. Oh um, gosh. But it, but it still sounded lovely as as it was. Um, that would, wow, that would be yeah. a, a gem if you could find that. Jeez. Yeah, I know. Well, 
it's somewhere. Yeah. It, it exists. It, it exists in the vaults, as I mentioned, in the dusty vaults. Yeah. Some, some somebody's basement record company basement. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Now, if it hasn't been destroyed. Oh yeah. Now you mentioned country. There is a huge country influence in Moose's music moving forward. There's no hiding. Yeah. No. I didn't. And like I said, you know, Moose music. Moose music. That sounds. Moose's music was hard to find over here, especially, I guess, where I was, maybe. So I didn't realize until going back and, and listening again how prevalent the country sound was. Was that something that yeah. you guys were going to it on purpose, or was that just your influences coming out? I think it was the influences coming out. I think, <laughs> like, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Country and Irish. Yeah. I mean, I think um, the, like, like I said, even the very first songs were written on a 12 string acoustic guitar. Yeah. Um, and you could play them like that, but I suppose we kind of, you know, like I said, when, once we went into, uh, into a rehearsal room um, and start, you know, brutalizing them with distortion, yeah. <laughs> um, I think we were really finding our feet on those first three EPs. We're just sort of like scrabbling around and enjoying what we were doing, doing gigs and having a bit of fun. But I think when you know when we did the first album, I, there was there was a real feeling that like um, you know let's let's be a bit serious, let's make sure we get this right okay. um, because you know I mean you you only get to do your first album once, of course, yeah. and we wanted to make sure that it was it was something that you know that we'd be able to listen to and, and just be happy with you know forever really, and um, yeah, so it, it's it, it was like I say it was great working with with Mitch. It was great having strings and brass and and all kinds of stuff and and Dolores having you know like we had a friend who played Hammond organ and he had the proper he had a Hammond organ and Leslie speakers uh. and we we went and we had them all delivered to the studio um, and he came along and he played organ on a couple of tracks and. It was, it was, oh, it was a, such a fantastic time. I, I look back and I think we had a, an absolute ball making that record. It was, it was really lovely. And Mitch was a, it is, I guess, still a smashing guy. Yeah. Um, and um, I, I don't know what we, we never said in touch with him. I know that we may or may not have annoyed him by, <laughs> in, the, in the fact that, that he mixed the album. And then there was a couple of songs that, where we thought, oh, I, th I think I d we won't have later. We thought that if we need to change the mix on that, and we we remixed it ourselves. And uh, <laughs> maybe, it was, maybe maybe Mitch Mitch's mix was absolutely fine, but um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know what, what what he ever thought about that. The album had been out about three months, two or three months, and um, we we did a a little UK tour. We went off to France with Ride. We supported Ride in, in France, which was really lovely. Um, oh, right. Yeah. Wow. That, was, that would have been a cool show. It was. It was really excellent. We had, Man. again, we had such a nice time. It was off. We played in Paris and we'd done a few little one-off gigs, but we'd never actually done a proper around France tour. And we did a couple of gigs in Spain as well on that tour. Uh, so it was our first time in Madrid and Barcelona. But yeah, it was uh, it was really really good fun. It was all it all seemed to be going well, and then and then Virgin said, "Good night, Vienna." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it, it was uh, uh, it was um, it, there was a massive cull. I think I can't remember who took over. I think I think maybe EMI took over 
Virgin. Somebody took over Virgin that autumn and just looked at their roster of artists and thought, you've got too many artists on this roster. Um, and um, some some of them are some of them aren't are never going to get anywhere. Some of them spend too much money. Some of them are old hats. So, you know, we got I I, I remember we got um we got dropped the same day as the Mock Turtles. I don't know if you remember called the Mock yes, Turtles. Yes, I they do. got dropped. And Public Image Limited. They also, yes. Wow. So, I mean, how, how dare you? I mean, you can, you can drop us. Yeah. We don't mind, but how were you doing dropping pill? Uh, that's... Well, that's just, that was ridiculous. Wow. And, uh, you know, and I used to think like, you think someone's come in here, they, they've just taken the scissors and just started slashing at things. and um, Almost al- uh, alphabetically. We'll go from M down. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, if you, yeah. Half the alphabet's Eight. gone. Yeah, A to K were fine. They yeah. just, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and, but that, that just meant that we just thought, what do we do now? We'd, we'd started writing some, we'd had a couple of new songs and we thought, shit, we were expecting to maybe be in the studio doing a new album next year. And, yeah. um, well, we were, I mean, we did. Yeah. Um, uh, but we, we put out an EP on our own label. Yes, um, yeah. Uh, just a, I think a three-track EP called the, I think it's called Li- Liquid Makeup EP. I have, there are 12 for sale on Discogs from $4.82 okay. on up. Okay. That's cool because, because not very many were pressed and oh, really? uh, not very many were sold. Oh. Um, but the thing is, we just thought, well, we'll just do it. You know, we just, I think it's always a shame if a band gets dropped and they, they just suddenly think, well, we don't exist anymore. Let's just, you know, a few people told us, oh, you just break up and, you know, form other bands. Yeah. And it was, uh, you know, you, you had your moment, it didn't work out. And, um, wow. And, you know, and it, you know that's defeatist. A, yeah. Well, we did have a really quite brutal conversation with, um, uh, a guy that, that used to manage us. Um, and, you know, he did say, you know, that the thing with the music industry and he said, it's a cliche, but there's a lot of throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. And he said, you didn't stick. <laughs> um, uh, which, <laughs> Which I, it was quite upsetting, but uh, but to be to have your music described in those terms, <laughs> I can but, but, but you know, on a brutal level, he was he was absolutely correct. You know, yeah. it's a, it is a, an industry or a business at the end of the day. Yeah, um, you can get too romantic about these things. No, and you know, like you said, pill didn't stick either after a point. After 1992, no, yeah. they didn't. I don't know what they'd done wrong, but um, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, okay. Probably they, not releasing anything in a while was probably their their, their problem. But um, yeah. So we did our EP, and then it was a guy called Peter Kent, who uh, an English guy that worked in Brussels. He worked for Play It Again, Sam. He worked for um, he worked for their publishing arm. The publishing arm of Play It Again, Sam, and he liked it. He liked the EP, and he said. Um, are you doing an album? And we, we'd already got a little deal with the guy that 
where we recorded our first album, where we recorded XYZ, we spent so much money on that. On well, actually, no, no. By our standards, it was a lot of money. Right. By other by other band standards, it was nothing. But um, we spent it, and we recorded all our EPs there. And the okay. guy that owned the studio felt that we'd been treated a bit harshly. So he said, "If you want to record your next album, you haven't got a record deal." But you can come in when the studio is empty. You can come in on downtime. You know, for example, I've got I've got a week coming up. You can come in for a week, and wow. then he was wonderful. That's amazing. Um, I mean, like I say, there's there's been a lot of you know whether it's Emma sending out our first demos and offering us our first gigs. Yeah, and, you know, for every asshole out there that wants to you know <laughs> watch your shit slide down the wall, <laughs> um, so to speak. Um, <laughs> There's always going to be there's plenty of plenty or, of nice people. You know? Or literally, um, you don't know what people are into. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, um, but he so we were able to record a whole uh, the whole second album, Honey Bee, and we recorded that for you know I'd like to say peanuts, but you know nine thousand pounds isn't peanuts, but it was really super cheap. Still, for the time. yeah. You know that that's that was that was a bargain, but we ha we didn't have a deal. And he said, "When you get your deal, you can pay me." So if wow. you put it out on your own label, you put it on your own label, pay me when the money starts coming in. And so it was really really sweet of him to do that's that. That's amazing. Yeah yeah yeah. And but the thing is, it, it then gave us we had, had an album. Yeah. Finished, mixed, recorded, and um, Peter. All the, all the heavy lifting's done at that point. It, it is because we're not trying to get money to record an album. Yeah. We've now got our second album done and dusted. And Peter Kent, the publishing guy from Play Again Sam, he said, well, listen, I'm, I'm going to offer you a publishing deal. I think, I think it's great. And I think, you know, we can get some funding here. It might help. The, the publishing money might pay for the, um, the, the recording costs. Right. And, and a little advance like that. And we thought, this is, this is great. We'll put it out on our own label. Um, but he then suggested that perhaps if the, the record was to come out on Play It Again Sam's, uh, not just the publishing, on the actual record company side, I'll speak to my colleagues. We'll see if you can release it on Play It Again Sam. And you don't have to do any, have any worry about trying to sort out your own record label. And, um, you have to worry about distribution. Yes. You have to jump through all those hoops. Yeah. And there's a lot of admin involved. And if, if you're like us, and at the time, you know, it, it's actually a, an absolute miracle that we released a, a, a one EP on our own label before that. Because, but no, actually, I, I say that I say a miracle. It's not a miracle. You know, Russell's a very well organised guy, and he's, you know, he's pretty cool at stuff like that. So we decided to play against them, and um, that the, the the second album came out. Was a long delay before the next one came out because play against them uh, i'll be honest with you they, they they weren't the easiest people to deal with and we had a few regrets about not doing it on our own label really? and yeah they were they, they, i don't want to slag them off because i'm not bitter and twisted <laughs> 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 anymore <laughs> but, but no no we, we we went through we went through a difficult phase with them where 
we recorded, we started recording this, uh, what was our third album and um, second album with them. I don't think they were too happy with how, with the sales for the, for Honey Bee. They couldn't seem to get it released in America. I think we'd probably be probably broke even. Like I say, it was cheap as chips to record and, you know, we didn't lose them any money, but they kind of wanted to make sure that the third album was going to like really reap some kind of reward for them. And we worked with a producer, we recorded three or four tracks and he, three or four songs, I should say. And he'd been given the brief really that the problem with Moose is that we we tend to be a band that likes to over egg the cake somewhat. (laughs) Um, You know, there's, there's a lot of layers of stuff and, and perhaps if we went for something that was a bit more simple and direct and not nine guitar parts and four <laughs> string parts and an organ and a, and the bells and whistles and right. tubers and tubers <laughs> and French horns, you know, um, marching bands. Just I can get you a couple of those it. cheap now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I do have one question about Ooh. something from Honeybee. We talked a little bit about how, especially in that time frame, a lot of bands had B-sides that were just as good as the the single tracks and the album tracks. I love the B-sides that I've been listening to from from Moose, but what in the hell is going on in Welcome to the Mind of Mr. Breeders? What is Russell saying? And I don't understand a word of that song. It's such a bizarre song. Oh, hang on a minute. It's in Spanish. Is it? I... Oh, do you know what? Or Greek. I'm not joking. I'm not joking. There was, we did, um, we did a B-side where we, oh God. We did... <laughs> we did... Okay. One of the one of the, that EP, the Liquid Makeup EP that we put out on our own label after being dropped, there was a B side on that that is either in Spanish or Greek. I cannot remember which. And then Welcome to the Mind of Mr. Breeders is that's either in Spanish. One's in Greek, one's in Spanish. I just cannot for the life of me remember the song. I'm I'm gonna take a, a wild stab here because I, I took Spanish for a while in high school. And one of the songs on Liquid Makeup is called Ramon. Oh, okay. That's that's Spanish. Okay, that's that would have been oh, my guess. <laughs> I think. <laughs> but welcome to the Mind of Mr. Breeders is just no. crazy. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I think. Oh God, this is a problem with not owning this stuff anymore. <laughs> so um, there's the three tracks on Liquid Makeup are "I Wanted to See You" to see if I wanted you. Yeah, yeah. There's a place, and yes. Ramon. Ramon, yes. And at the end of Ramon, if you play Ramon right through to the end, you can hear a woman saying, rabid dog, rabid dog, rabid dog. (laughs) I have to check that out because I couldn't find that. I was trying to find a lot of the stuff I had to look up on on YouTube and all because it – 
I don't have most of it. And I couldn't find, I don't think there was anybody had uploaded the liquid makeup EP. The, the, the end of that song, Ramon, we were, we didn't know how to end the song. We wanted something strange and we were in the studio and I don't know if you remember a band called Cranes or the Cranes. It they were sounds English, familiar. Kind of gothy kind of band, but they were, they were recording in the studio next door. And we asked if the, the, the girl, Alison, I think she is, if she'd just come in and just, can you just say the word rabid, the words rabid dog about 10 times into the microphone? <laughs> and she looked at us like we were taking the piss, but we weren't, <laughs> we weren't, we actually, and so we just, that was the end of the song, a, a, a woman's voice just saying rabid dog. Oh, um, okay. But, but I think Welcome to the Mind of Mr. Breeders is definitely, is, it, it's Spanish. Okay. Thing. I, I think the Ramon song is actually in Greek. Wow. Because <laughs> if I look up Moose Ramon, weird shit comes up on YouTube. I know it's, it's two Mexican guys boxing, <laughs> some old red-haired lady making tacos and she's not Mexican. Um, a SpongeBob thing on Minecraft shows up for some, I don't know what that has to do with. What is, what is this shit? I don't know. I can't find Ramon on YouTube. I found the other I, two tracks, but the problem when you look up moose is there's a band called moose blood. There's another band called moose in America. There's another band a blues rock band ah. called Moose. And they've been, I saw something recently. Oh no, not recently. It was a while back. Somebody sent it to me. It was uh, this band, this American band called Moose were doing a gig. And I, someone, someone had emailed like a, some chat room thing, like a, a screenshot saying, this is not the band from London. Don't go if it's, <laughs> if you think it's them, they don't exist anymore. Oh jeez. <laughs> yeah wow yeah the albums and the songs the music everything seems to be getting more and more sophisticated as the band goes on which to me is awesome it's really i hear a lot more growth through from album to album than i do for a lot of bands yeah i i, I think there was and i i think we really really tried to kind of hone the, the song craft to a certain extent. And also we don't like to repeat ourselves. Ah. So if there's a chord sequence in a song, in a particular song, I, I try never to use that chord sequence again. Wow. So I, I just try and go, I'll, I'll try and put different combinations together. Um, obviously you run out of chords. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'll only take you so far, but I, I try to, I try not to kind of, I, I don't want to belittle a group like Oasis because you know they, they've achieved remarkable things, but yeah. they've achieved remarkable things with four chords. Yeah, you know, um, you know, uh, isn't that the case though? You get a band like that, and and I, I like Oasis a lot. I've, I've always, and I can't say I always have. In fact, in the beginning, I hated them. I thought they were just cheesy ripoffs of every other band that I actually liked. Right, and then my brother and my cousin just beat them into me and I restarted to really actually like them. But you get a band like that and, and or certain bands seem to just make an entire career out of using this four chords. And then there's bands that do a lot more exploration and a lot and grow a lot, and they don't seem to get this same success as a band that just 
hey, this is our thing and we're going to go with that for six or eight albums. Yeah. And I think if you hit on what they call a, what people would call a winning formula, yep. you think, well, then why would you, why would you change anything? You know? So, yeah. and I suppose, you know, it, it, there's obviously going to be an element of luck at the beginning on hitting on that win, winning formula, but yeah. you know, but yes, yeah, so I think we did, we did make a, a, a lot of, we tried to make progress. And also I think the albums that came, you know, the, the, the final two, um, live a little and, and highball me, we were recording, in a, in a really lo-fi, again, when we could afford to go in uh, and work with uh, our friend Brian in his little studio in East London. And again, he was doing us massive favors. We had no money by the end and we, right. we weren't making any money. Christ almighty, we never made a penny out of the band. I can honestly say that. Wow. Um, that, that was, you know, we just barely financially kept ourselves afloat and we were mostly... You know, like I say, we, we're mostly in debt and slightly beholden to people's fate, you know, for the, for goodwill and, and yeah. favors. But I mean, the, the plan was never to make money in the first place. So it was, it was, you know, if you're talking about people that, that, you know, were quite, we were students at the start, buskers, music fans, um, that there wasn't a grand plan to become, you know, the next U2 or anything right. like that. So I, I, I mean, not that many bands will, I mean, maybe, maybe there are bands that set out with a kind of a, you know, this time in five years, if it could be, we'll be playing like ice hockey stadia yeah, or conquer the uh, world. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But I suppose it was, um, I mean, I told this story a couple of weeks ago, we were ch chatting to someone. I think you, you always need, uh, if you want, if you want to achieve that, you do need to have someone, at least one ambitious person in the band, somebody that's kind of driven, even if it, even if it's, you've got a four or five piece group, but one of them is determined to get there, to make it, they'll be able to drag the others with them. Yeah. Um, it's usually the singer or the songwriter, or it's usually, you know, it's usually two people that will drag the, the rest of them there. Right. We, we, ne we never had that person in the band, unfortunately. We never had anybody that's kind of come on guys we need to we need to work harder we need to you know we're not rehearsing enough that show was shit this one needs to be better we, there was never any kind of autopsy after a bad gig it was just you shrug your shoulders and think maybe we shouldn't have had so much to drink <laughs> um, or, or maybe we should have rehearsed yeah um so you know you know we we book rehearsal studios and then spend a lot of time sitting around drinking tea and then thinking let's go for lunch yes <laughs> and, uh, um, so there was, there was this there, there was no there, we weren't driven there was no yeah. drive and so the story i was i told this story the other day that um we did an interview with the face magazine and um this was you know early on before the first i think we were only two eps into our career and um jeremy the original bass player he just left and because he, he was just going to pursue his art, okay. he's a painter. And um, Damien, the drummer, the first drummer, and there was just the three of us. We hadn't start started auditioning for a bass player yet, um, although Lincoln was pretty soon, uh, pretty soon to join. Um, so we had a photo session booked for the Face. It was on a Sunday, and um, the, the Face magazine they flew this fashion photographer over and put him in a, a photographic studio in Farringdon in the center of London and with a makeup artist and lighting and everything. And, wow. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, uh, you know, we were meant to t turn up on the Sunday afternoon into the evening to do this photo session. Well, 
I actually didn't really want to go, but I, I thought, I thought it's okay. The other two will go. Now you, you can imagine how the story ends. Yes. None of us turned, none of us turned up because they all thought the other two would go. Um, and that includes the lead singer of the band. Oh my God. You know, the fact that Russell thought that the lead singer of a band is it's okay for that person not to turn up for a magazine photo. photo <laughs> I, I think that, that that's my go-to moose anecdote for why didn't moose ever get anywhere? Because it, it was, it, it was, I mean, obviously there are loads of other reasons, but you do need people that will turn up for those things. You know, even if only Russell had turned up yeah. and you only had the singer, that's fine. I've seen photo sessions with just, the lead singer of the band yeah not a problem and and believe me me and damien would not have been in the least bit put out or bothered by the fact that we weren't in the photos right. obviously um, <laughs> but but yeah and and i think i, I remember it it was it it caused a, a real argument a real furore at the time because the record company were on the phone on the monday morning going what the fuck yeah you know i've got some <laughs> really irate fashion photographer who's you know flying back to paris today and he's livid and um you know you've just you know he's getting paid and everything but he's fucking furious yeah and 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 hot records were fucking furious yeah um and and rightly so yeah um, I, I can understand you know, that yeah so in a weird way the the writing was on the wall yeah then yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> that, that famous wall that's got writing yeah. and shit on it. <laughs> <laughs> Everything just sliding off that wall. Yeah, yeah. Now, you, there was a five-year gap between uh, Live a Little, Love a Lot and Highball Me. Were you guys, and, and in general, did you tour a lot in, in the UK? Or were you, what was going no, on? At that point, I think around 96 uh, into 97. Sorry, yeah, yeah, 97, we recorded that album but um we it just sat there for a couple of years oh, well, wow. so we stopped gigging in 96 oh. um we did a couple of gigs in france in 96 um i think three or four and we came back and honestly i think you know there was just me and russell and whoever we could drag in and mig was still involved on uh we had a different bass player and a different guitarist um, and it's great. I mean, they were, they were actually maybe some of the best gigs that we ever, we ever did. And they were, <laughs> they were good because not because of me and Russell, but because of the guys that we got in <laughs> who, who, um, the, they, they both used to be in a band called eat. They were kind of around in the late eighties. They, they were going to be the next big thing. They honestly, and I saw them a lot around 87, 88. Okay. Uh, they were phenomenal live band. They did a fantastic version of Summer in the City. Oh, cool. They were brilliant. They were, honestly, they were so, so good, so tight, so well rehearsed. There's some great songs and a charismatic front man. Honestly, I don't know how they blew it. But I don't, I don't know. How, <laughs> they, 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 they blew it. But wow. They, sh they should have been huge. They slid they down the wall. Uh, yes, unfortunately, but a couple of guys that were in that band, the bass player and uh, one of the guitarists, um, Mig, our drummer, was friends with them, um, and we were 
offered these gigs in France. We didn't have a full band, so they came in and rehearsed with us at really, really short notice. Oh, wow. Like, like we're going to France next week. We've got three <laughs> or four days to rehearse. Wow. And But the thing is, these guys are really excellent musicians. They'd, you know, they're the kind of people that, like, you play them the CD, they'll sit there, okay, got this, and they move on. Wow. And, um, uh, yeah, honestly, Tim. Tim was the bass player and Max was the guitarist. And um, we went into the rehearsal room, and for the first time, we were going to use um, uh, our friend Natalie on the violin live. Ooh, so nice. we were going to go out. Yeah, it was the first time. And so we were in the rehearsal room, and it, was, it wasn't going very well. <laughs> and and uh, Tim just said, listen, listen, this is just all wrong. It, and he just, he just said, right, you, and he pointed to me and said, you turn your guitar up loud, turn it up now. And it was like, okay. So, um, so, uh, and, and he said, right, okay, right now again, let's just, let's, and he just directed it. He said, right, again, do the song again. And we go, oh, we've played it again. We do it one more time. <laughs> he was just, he, he was brilliant. He wow. actually, he actually, he, he just cracked the whip basically, because we were in let's go and have a cup of coffee and a cake mode. And um, <laughs> it, it, it'll be all right on the night. Right. It'll be fine. And, and, and Tim and Max, they just knew that it was going to be nowhere near all right on the night, that we were so far away. We were so fit, like like a, an out-of-shape boxer, yeah. you know, that, that, that hasn't been in the ring for a few years right. and has put on about 15 kilos yeah. and and thinks that it's okay. I'll rely on muscle memory. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It'll come back to me. It'll come back to me. And it wasn't coming back. And it sounded awful. And Tim, honestly, it was as if he'd like grabbed us by the shirt and said, oh, come on, yeah. you know, and uh, just get on with it. Yeah. I mean, in the nicest possible way, he was a really sweet guy. And he he really got us into shape. Wow. Um, it, it, it's, it's kind of thing, kind of person you meet where you think, I wonder if this guy had been in the band for the last six years, whether we would be playing a uh, fucking ice hockey stadium. Yeah. Because yeah. we actually never had anybody like that. We had lo lovely, lovely people. Right. But nobody that was ever that kind of professional. Yeah. Not, not a real uh, a leader. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, we always took the, the, the soft option. Yeah. And if the soft option soft option was to rehearse for an hour and then say, oh, can we be bothered? Should we go home? <laughs> it was, yeah, let's go home. Um, everything sounds okay. Everything, but just the idea that okay is just not good enough. Yeah. And I know that now. Bloody hell, I, well, I'm saying that. I knew it then. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> I, know, I, know I knew it then. But, you know, when you've got that kind of, you know, the lazy gene, uh, I know it, uh, and, and it's and it's 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 in the it's in the band, I know and there's, well. there's almost nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do about it, and I know it now. Comparing it with um, being in Poroshka, where it's utterly different, you know. Yeah, Jesus Christ, did we rehearse? <laughs> so you know, there's a huge gap between Moose's last album and Poroshka. I know you and Mickey started a family, but what what else was going on in there? Did you, did you take a whole different career route? Yeah, what I think what happened was the the biggest. I mean, you you might have discussed this with Mickey before, but when when Chris died in '96, Mickey, the last thing she wanted to do was was music. Yeah, and it kind of coincided with 
I think we were just finishing off Highball Me around that time. Maybe, maybe there was another few months before that finished. Understandably, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, she she was absolutely, you know, shaken to the core. I mean, yeah. everybody was, and it was, it was. I still, I mean, we're coming up to the it'll be the twenty fifth anniversary in wow. in um, in the autumn, and you think it still staggers me that um, that it, that it, it happened. It actually happened because you know he was a really good friend of of Russell's, you know, and you know we used to go to football matches together and. You know, he was a big Tottenham Hotspur fan. And so we'd go and see Spurs with him. Simon Raymond as well. You know, we, we, we'd sometimes go to the same football matches. And so Chris was more, it, was, it wasn't just the fact that he was in a band. He went to the same college as I went to. He, um, as Mickey went to. Yeah. Um, it, was, it, was a, it was a real shocker. And I think Mickey was out at that point. It was kind of like, right, that's me out. And yeah. Emma... Emma had started her new band anyway, um, Sing Sing. Right. Um, so she was up and running with something new. And then, yeah, that then uh, I, I trained as a, a language teacher. Mickey got into publishing. So we had, um, we just had new jobs. I hardly, I hardly listened to music, any, any new music that is, right. between about, uh, between about, 2000 and 2008 or nine, you know, I, 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 bar I, I barely bought any, vi any CDs. Uh, no, uh, no one was buying vinyl then. Right. Um, I think I must've gone to an average of one or two gigs a year. Wow. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I was out. So when people talk about, Oh, do you remember blah, blah, blah? I go, I know the name cause I remember reading about them, but I, I, I just, I just, I was listening to, a lot of classical music, a lot of jazz, old stuff. Uh, I just wasn't into new music. I thought that's that's me. I'm I'm done with that now. The, the gigs that I went to were jazz gigs, basically at the jazz cafe. With I had a lot of friends uh, that, um, and one friend in particular was really into jazz, and he would always um, he'd always sort of like recommend stuff, and we'd go together. Russell had started his well, he started it quite quite a few years earlier. His kind of radio and TV as a radio and TV plugging company oh, okay. that he does, does with uh, mig mig the drummer uh their friend marty and russell that so they they stayed in the music industry but oh, um not making music at all just representing people so th they're cool they, they've got this um plugging company they they do really cool stuff you know they do sub pop and they do warp records and they oh, do neat. they do they only do things they like they don't have to do anything for money they just say you know that, that this is a cool band will do it. People come will come up to them and say, you know, will you work for this band? And they'll go, no, no, we, we, if we're not into the music or the label, we're not doing it. Oh, that's so awesome. they do, 
it is awesome because they get to do they do Bella Union, they do um sub pop and like I say warp and all those really cool labels and they're kind of the go-to guys for you know if you want your alternative music on the radio or on television oh that's um, fantastic yeah yeah they're, they're, yeah and mig uh mig works really really hard on that uh, Rus- russell's no longer based in the uk so um oh. he lives in, he lives in portugal he moved to portugal a few years ago i think he wanted to get out pre Brexit <laughs> while, he, while he still could. He's still looking um, for Mr. Breeders. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe that maybe a song in Portuguese. He's been learning Portuguese. He's been learning Portuguese actually. But um, so yeah, there was a massive gap, yeah. a massive gap. And then around the the, the sort of 2009, 2010, I started you know buying music again and going to more gigs. And I started hanging out with people that were kind of like, come on, let's. Girl, come, come see this band, they're brilliant. So I started going to shows again. And then then Lush reformed, you yeah. know. And uh, that was, that's when all, all, the ball started rolling again because Mickey, the kids were still quite young and Mickey knew that she'd have to rehearse and rehearse and rehearse. Right. Um, professional. And, and boy, did they do that. Because the thing is that Justin is a really justin is one of those guys that is like listen we do this until we get it right yeah you know if we have to play the song a hundred times we'll play a hundred times <laughs> you know um we have to be able to go on stage and do this with uh, without ever ha- having to start counting things in our head yeah. you know oh god is that the 16th bar already you know if you you don't have to think about these things it should just be pure instinct yeah. and muscle memory and so justin really really push the rehearsals and Mickey was the same. She doesn't want to go on stage and make a fool of herself. So, yeah. you know, but the Lush shows were excellent because, oh, man, I wish I could have seen that tour. I, I saw Lush one time in 92 when they okay. at Lollapalooza in Pennsylvania. It was amazing because I knew the name of the band. I'd heard them, but I had never, I had heard of them, but I never listened to the music and Lush came on and I was just like, this is amazing. I love this sound. And after, let's see, it was Lush and then Pearl Jam, mm. uh, Jesus and Mary Chain. I got to, Soundgarden? Uh, Soundgarden. Yes. Yeah. Yes, Soundgarden, Ministry, Ice Cube. Ice Cube. And I think. And the Chili Peppers. And the Chili Peppers. And chili, I, I've never been a fan of the Chili Peppers, to be honest. No, I don't buy We got there. Watched every band. The Chili Peppers came on. They were like, they came on half naked and with like light bulbs on their heads or something, something right, yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. There's like four or five of us there. Me and my buddy Ed. We looked at each other and like, I'm done. And you got to do the right thing. You've got to let you've got to let your buddy see the show. Of course, oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I'm not gonna make. If you want to see that band, you go ahead. I'm gonna do something else. We'll just catch up afterwards. I saw. I went over to America in 96 on the last tour that Lush did before Chris died. And uh, I saw them about five or six times and on that tour. And they were really excellent. They were so on it. They were so tight. Yeah. They've been years of touring and that year alone, they've done dozens of shows, wow. you know, which is honestly didn't contribute to Chris's mental health at all, yeah. but they, but they were, they just sounded astounding. I, I, and I kind of, I'd always, I'd, I'd like Lush, 
I'd always been a fan, but I wasn't, I was never blown away by them. They were my friends. They were in a band. They, 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 they did lovely things for us. Yeah. But I, I actually stood there one night thinking, fucking hell. They got. When did they get this good? <laughs> and I, 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 just, I just, because honestly, they were so dynamic, and the sound was brilliant. They had a. They've always had an excellent sound engineer, Pete, who does their sound, and they were absolutely on it. Yeah. They were. They were. They were really, really good. So I knew that that when they when they broke when well when Chris died in '96 and Lush. Uh, just disappeared. Uh, I knew that they'd gone out on a high, like in terms of like their performance levels in what what they could actually do yeah. in front of a live crowd. And Mickey was adamant that she didn't want to come back. Um, she she thought she they wouldn't be able to achieve what what they had done, but she wanted to get close. Well, yeah, um, and you got to think that you know the fans are used to that. They don't they they're expecting that level when you come back. No matter they don't understand. Maybe they do, but they're not they won't excuse a gap. They're thinking, no. you know, you're coming back. You better come back to the same level that you left at. Yeah. And there'll be people that obviously didn't even see them at all in the nineties that are yeah. a bit younger and they might've heard nice things and seen, seen stuff on YouTube. And so yeah. there were, I think the expectation was, was quite high. Yeah, um, sure. And you know, I mean the fact that they, when they announced the tour, they sold out two nights at the roundhouse in London. Like, you know, it was like pretty, Pretty insane. Yeah. They'd never, they'd never played gigs that big in, in the first incarnation. They, wow. they, they had, just hadn't. And so, you know, it was. Um, well, actually, because <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was there with the kids. Um, oh wow! And, and it, they just, they absolutely fucking kicked. Ass. That must Sorry, have been an amazing. American expression. It was just, it was, you know, they honestly, they really, they were like, I, I, I was like, oh my god. That must um, have been amazing to see Mickey up there with, and and you go watching it with the kids. That must have been incredible. It was. It was really, really good because they'd done a little warm up show at a place called the Oslo. It's a, a club that holds maybe three, three hundred and fifty people. You know, yeah. like low level stage. And it was kind of, I think it might have been maybe fan club kind of tickets okay. available, if I'm not mistaken. And it was, and that was excellent. I mean, honestly, they were, I just thought, wow, they, yeah. they really are. But when you see them on a big stage, the light show, the lighting design was better than anything they'd ever had before. Oh. I mean, they really came back better. And one of the reasons was Justin. Justin was determined, like, that he was going to go up on stage and actually you know, do Chris proud yeah. and do the band proud. Cause he was Chris's friend from back in the day. Yeah. And, um, and they were absolutely awesome. And I think, you know, when, when Poroshka formed, Justin and Mickey wanted to make sure that, that we went on stage and that, that we were just as, okay. We're playing tiny venues. Yeah. <laughs> not two nights at the roundhouse, unfortunately, <laughs> but, uh, you know, there were no fuck ups that we were tight rehearsed. And of course, Mick, the bass player, who's, who's been touring constantly with modern English anyway. Yeah. He's, he's a sensational musician. And um, you've known these guys forever. Mick, um, Mick, actually, this is like a loop. Mick goes right back to 19, to the beginning of Moose. When, um, when Jeremy left the band, we, we did a tour. I think it was the, the tour with the Cranberries, actually, where Mick played the bass. 
Okay. Yes, it was that. But that was the oh yes, was that the Cranberries tour, the one before? But but Jeremy had left during the recording of the second. Yeah, it was the second EP. So Mick learned all the bass lines and um, came on tour with us. Um, and it was it was fun because we'd um, I'd missed. I'd missed um, a bunch of gigs because my I have a, a son from a previous relationship. Okay. Um, who's who's actually he turned thirty last week. He's coming up tomorrow. We're going to celebrate his birthday. But oh, it, wow. it's our daughter. It's Stella's birthday next Saturday. It was Joe's birthday last Saturday. So tomorrow we're having a family meal. It's going to be lovely. Oh, it's the first, that's... first time we've all been together since uh, lo- since lockdown for for a year. Wow. I've seen Joe. Because he hasn't been, he's, he lives in Brighton with his girlfriend and he works in Brighton. So he hasn't been able to come up to London because of um, various lockdown things. Oh my but, gosh. Um, well, happy birthday. So, I'll tell him. I'll tell him. But yeah, yeah so some weird dude I, in America said happy I birthday. Said, <laughs> to both of you. Um, so he just broke his toilet. He's, he's just a weird guy. <laughs> um, yeah, so I couldn't do some gigs uh, because. Joe was uh, was about to be born, so I wanted to be there. Yeah. And so t- um, Tim Tim Gain from Stereo Lab he learned all the he learned all the Moose songs. Oh wow! And he went, yeah, he he went off, and he was me. Uh, and and then it was really weird because we then had a gig in Paris. That's right. This is how Mick joined the band. Sorry if I'm rambling. No, it's um, fine. We had we had our first ever gig in Paris, and we we're playing at a really nice club. And we decided that we would do it with, um, I'd come back to the band, but we'd keep Tim. So we'd have three guitars. Wow. But the thing is, Jeremy had left and we needed a bass player. So Mick Conroy, he had all the songs written on like, like um, F, G, C, chorus, C, blah, blah, blah. And he had all all the things written down like on big sheets of paper. He was learning them on the tour bus driving to Paris. Oh my gosh. Then, um, cause he's such, I like to say he's such a great musician. And then we, we did a sound check and then he was in the dressing room for hours, just with his bass, just going over and over the songs again and again and again. And then we, uh, we went out and did a gig as a, it was the first time we'd ever get done a gig as a five piece. And it kind of stuck. Uh, cause after Tim, Tim left. We uh, we we got another guitarist in and continued to play as a five piece. But so that's a long answer <laughs> to say yes. Known, known Mick for many years, but Mick kind of grew up in Suffolk and Essex, uh, Colchester, which is where Russell's from. So he had known Russell for like a decade before or more. You know, before um, before I met Russell, they'd oh, known wow. each other since like punk days. Oh, you know, I mean, man. you know. Yeah, they they they've known each other for a long, long time. So yeah, there's some there's some strong friendships there. Did did Moose ever tour the states? We did um, one tour in '94 when Honeybee Honeybee had just come out. We played with the Cocteau Twins in. Um, we did we played in Atlanta two nights in Atlanta. They were our first ever U.S. gigs. Oh wow! And uh, I still remember them i remember that tour like it was yesterday because it was maybe one of the one of the loveliest things about being in moose was to go on tour with your favorite band and um well my favorite contemporary band at the time um and uh we um oh that was brilliant we did two nights in atlanta then we went up and we played in washington and new york and 
we did a I can't remember Philadelphia. We, we did a, we did about six or seven gigs, um, and we did one. The Cocktail Twins had a night off, and we did one gig of our own in Danbury, Connecticut. Oh wow, Danbury, yes. We played with a band called the Wear Frogs. Um, they were. <laughs> They're a US band. I'm not familiar um, with them. Okay. No, I think they were around in the late 80s, early 90s. But I think they organized the gig. It was a um, it was a building that was adjoining Danbury Airport, some little <laughs> airstrip. It was, oh, wow. Anyway, it was it was it was really good fun. Actually, the, the, it's on the it's on YouTube. Russell really? sent me a link. Russell sent me a link of of Moose Live in Danbury. Um, oh my god. Uh, all you can hear is guitar. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to find not the that. It's recording, but but, it, but no. Russell sent me a link. States, but it was great because we got we got to play. Oh, we got to play some massive places, really big theaters to great crowds. Oh, that's yeah, awesome. and and the Copto Twins were just wonderful to us. They knew that we had no money. They yeah. absolutely they absolutely knew that we we could barely scrabble the money together to pay for the flights. We did it on a real budget. We got a little mini mini bus, you know, like a a, a ten seater people wagon or whatever you right. call them um, <laughs> and all our gear went in the cocteau twins they, they took our gear around for us oh um, wow and this is how lovely they were they actually paid for us to have our own mixing desk wow so it, it was massively convenient for them in the sense that we didn't get to touch their mixing desk yeah exactly <laughs> but but it, but it was great for us because our sound engineer had his own desk every night we were going through the same PA, and um, I think we sounded good on that tour. Oh, I, th- I think that was a, that was a kind of a, a high high line, high moment for us. That was I think that was we got really good feedback for that for that tour, awesome. but we never got the chance to go back because um, we, that's when we went in to record the next album with Play Again Some, and that's when things started to take a lot longer yeah. and. Um, uh, and it was yeah things we wasn't a great phase in in the band's career but but it was lovely I loved Atlanta we oh. were there for four days yeah I love um, Atlanta God Almighty what I mean it, it, it I think at the time let me get this right now they it, there was a lot of de- development going on because the Olympic the Olympics were coming up in ninety six right we yeah. were there in ninety four and there was a lots of things were happening in the city but you yeah. could tell that Olympic Olympics or no Olympics. Lots of things were happening in the city anyway. It yeah. seemed like a great place to be. It, it yeah, that that time and I I haven't been there in fifteen years now, but I was there in the uh let's see, late nineties to early two thousands. I I moved from New Jersey to Alabama and I wasn't too far away from Atlanta, you know, a few hours. So every right. once in a while. My brother was up at the University of Alabama and we would go it was like a 
Atlanta was like a three-hour drive from where I was at. It was like an hour and a half or two hours from where my brother was at. So we'd go hang up in, in Tuscaloosa, go right. some college bands play, oh, right, shoot over yeah. to Atlanta, apparently see Oasis at some point that I don't remember. <laughs> and uh, But it, yeah, it was... It, it was really vibrant. It was, you can definitely feel it was growing and, and there's something happening there. Definitely. Definitely. And we, and, and I know that it's, um, uh, what's the expression, a big college town as well. So, yeah. you know, um, a big student community. Oh yeah. Um, Georgia Tech's there and a couple other colleges. So yeah. So you've got that, you've got that real good vibe. We met some really excellent people as well. I remember like going, we went clubbing one night with this group of people. It was, to, Oh, and I got to see. Um, if you say Oasis, Jeff, I'm gonna. Jeff Buckley. Oh wow! Before he came to the gig, because I think he had a, a brief-ish relationship with Liz Fraser from the Cocteau Twins. They were a couple briefly, and he came to the gigs in Atlanta. And afterwards, after the first night, I think. Simon Raymond said, listen, we're all jumping in a couple of cab cabs. We're going to go and see Tim. He's just, um, Tim. Did yeah. I say Tim? Yeah. I said Jeff. I meant Jeff Buckley. Yeah. I? Yeah. I meant Jeff Buckley. Yep. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Sorry. Um, um, we're going to see Jeff Buckley. Um, Seeing Tim at that point would have been very difficult. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> Probably a statue of him somewhere. Yeah, but they should be, but yeah. Um, but yeah. So, he said, we're going to see Jeff Buckley. Let's just come with us. And we went and um, it was just in the days when it was just him and a, a, a telecaster and an amp, oh, no band. Wow. And um, it was unbelievable. He was yeah. fantastic. And, um, and I'd only ever heard things about him. I'd never heard him. Everyone was already talking about him and saying, you know, this guy's amazing. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, my, my four days in Atlanta were Fucking brilliant. That's awesome. It was, uh, it was such a great, it was the kind of city that you go to and you think, wow, if I ever had to live in America, I think I could live here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people say that about a lot of places, but. You know. Yeah. And my only issue is that it's, it's, it's so hot in the summer. Oh my gosh. Oh, of course. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah, yeah. I, all right. Peroshka. Yeah. So, so how did this whole thing come about? Because I'm, I've seen some photos of Mickey and she's very adamant that it's not a fucking super group. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, well, how did everything because coalesce? It happened because, again, from Mickey, you've, you've probably heard that, you know, the Lush thing didn't end well. It, yeah. end, it ended quite badly. But we were coming back on the train from their last ever gig, and, and Mick Conroy had <laughs> done what he always does. He stepped in for the last gig and played for the Manchester show, which, yeah. which had been rescheduled. So he learned all the, all the lush bass lines. Um, yeah, I know. I know. He's a pretty phenomenal musician. Amazing. Um, some of them actually, I'm looking in, out into the garden, into the Ivan's drum room. I've, I've actually got a video clip of Ivan drumming along to the C, lush CD. Wow. Mick, Mick playing bass and Ivan drumming. I've got a video clip somewhere. So, awesome. so Mick, Mick was, Mick was really on it. Man. So he did an amazing gig. And then they knew it was all over. Um, so we were on the train coming back and me and Mickey had been talking about the posse. I can't remember where it started. I can't remember whether it was Justin that might have been the first one to say, listen, you know, this is crazy. There's so much momentum. It would be mad not to do so either find a way of continuing this, but there was never going to be lush with, without Emma. 
Right, right. Um, so, and Mickey wouldn't even dream of it. For her, it's, it's her and Emma. And um, so I think I, I said I'd definitely be, if, if Mick was into it and everyone's into it, I'd definitely be on board. We got the train back from Manchester to London. I think we were at Euston Station. And I said to Mick, you know, I think it's, the conversation started on the train. And he said, as we were walking on the platform, you know, like, so are we going to do this? And, um, so, and everyone was like, yep, okay, this is, a, this is a thing now. Wow. So we started, Justin started sending some, recording some basic demos, some music, a little bit of, you know, some dr- drum patterns and some noise and some guitar riffs. And Mickey had started writing some stuff. I, was, I wasn't in the writing mode at all. I just thought I'd see where this one's going to go. And... I thought, I'll just play guitar here. I'm, I'm not really, I probably won't get involved in any composition. I'll just get involved in playing. If, because it could be that if they want to get a band up and running, they just want to start gigging, then that can happen quite soon. So Mickey and Justin had some demos of some ideas, very sketchy. And after the Christmas, I think it was end of January, um, beginning of February, we decided to actually just go into a rehearsal room and, and jam around a little bit. So we went up to Suffolk where Mick lives. He, he works in a, and he's got a studio in this art space on an old airport. An airport. It's an old American mili- military base from the, from the Second World War. And now it's just used as like a, they use the runway as like test, test driving cars and, oh. and, all the, and all the outbuildings and all the old airport buildings have been turned into artist studios and uh, recording studios. It's a really amazing space, actually. So it looks like, so, the, old, like the old Top Gear track. <laughs> like that. It's exactly the kind of thing that gets done there is, is testing cars. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. And obviously like a disused, and I don't think it's used as, as an airstrip at all anymore, but so we had a big bit of space to use. We just set our gear up and we just jammed around and a couple of songs came together quite quickly in a kind of a, Ooh, okay. We need to um, come back here tomorrow, do a few more hours. And I think Justin recorded some of the sessions. I mean, they're very primitive, very basic. You know, at one point I'm playing a, synthesizer i'm not even, I'm not even playing guitar and I, and I and i don't play keyboards very well um so there was some crazy psychedelic stuff going on and but it sounded good and we thought okay we, we we can actually do this so then we started doing some serious demos and then there was a we we did a lot of rehearsals in london we hired we hired a rehearsal space in west london and we were in there like you know seven hours shifts wow. uh, just really tightening it up and making sure because the, I was the most worried because I was the one that quite literally hadn't picked up a guitar apart from to move it out of the way. Yes. Um, um, <laughs> for, for like a long time, all I, my fingers had all gone soft. I forgotten. I hadn't forgotten how to play the guitar, but I was back to being a busker. Yeah. Kind of, you know, like, um, well, if you want to, if you want you know, G, D, E, I can do that for you just about. So I had to, and I knew that I was in, they were up and running. Yeah. They were, they were in, they were in top gear. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, they didn't... and I was on a fucking skateboard, yeah. you know, and I, <laughs> and, and, on, and I, and I had to, I had to work like Billio. Wow. I had to work like crazy to, I suppose a bit like when, um, you know, when I had to learn the guitar in the first place to go back to busking when, I, when my Australian friend went home. And um, so I just thought, no, no, I, I, don't, I don't, if I go on stage, I don't want to be the weakest link here. I don't want to be the one that 
that fucks up, that doesn't remember when the chorus becomes the middle eight, right. that, who plays the wrong chord completely, who forgets his, to press this pedal. I need to be as good as them. So I just worked and worked and worked and worked to make sure that, that when we went into the, the studio to record um, the first album, that I could play all my parts without fucking up. And if we had to do a gig, and eventually we did, if, if you heard a mistake, it wasn't me. <laughs> right. <laughs> And trust me, it wasn't. Honestly, I really, I, I really didn't want to make a fool of myself in the way that Mickey didn't want to make a fool of herself when Lush came back. So that first album was so good. What I liked about it, uh, first of all, it starts off with this huge blast of feedback, which I thought that's that's my style. I love that. Yeah. I love noise. <laughs> doesn't sound like any of the bands you guys came from it's definitely got its own sound so was that intentional just to or or is that just the way you guys played together i think it's initially that's how we played together i think that the, the, well you've heard the second album which is yeah. definitely more like some of the things that we did earlier on in our career yeah and that was a conscious decision too okay. but um yeah the the i think it was you know we've we'd written all these songs some of them have, very different you know some of them are like what what on earth is this song doing in this yeah. album um <laughs> but you know we'd written i think 12 or 13 songs and we just thought we'd record them all and then the best 10 we'd um put on an album and so it was by then i'd, I'd started writing so i was able to contribute two or three songs to the album oh, nice. um uh yeah so uh, in my first and uh, my initial stab i remember i wrote a song and it and mickey me <laughs> mickey said i think you need to work on that a little bit more <laughs> and i went okay <laughs> harsh harsh but fair yeah um, and um, and no it was, it was it was it was fine you know i'm you know not bothered by things like that i'm not proud oh, so i just thought no 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 you're right i don't want to i don't want to start foisting songs when i when i i need to really spend a bit more time again so you don't want to be I, the weakest link yeah i don't want people to say i like all the songs apart from the three that moose wrote right. they're shit <laughs> <laughs> it's been a great ep <laughs> yes yeah, exactly yeah. so um so i um i just sat down and, and just got to work really and it helped that the kids were a tiny bit older um and a bit more self-reliant yeah and you know i, I had a bit more time and i i only teach part-time anyway which helps i don't like working full-time i can survive on part-time i can so i can survive That's on good. part-time hours and so it, it enabled me to sort of start writing again and practicing and um and yeah, so I felt by the time we went on tour, I, I was fine. Um, I was, I was, I was excited, uh, and I made a real conscious 
decision as in, in as, as much as you can to try and enjoy the moment you know you you know th there was a lot of nostalgia involved it kind of like as yeah. i was going through the process of remembering like what it's like to rehearse what it's like to go on tour and thinking that was a long time ago and did did i really enjoy it as much? could i could i have got more out of it sometimes for some in some situations yes yeah. i think mostly i had a really good time being in moose and i just thought I, we're not going to do many gigs in uh, as paroshka you know we're you know we're a small band we, we're not going to get offered very much i just want to make sure that i have have a good time while i'm doing it and i and just be aware like I, when you're standing on stage just think I'm doing this. This is this is real. This is happening now. I've got Mickey. I've got my mates. Yeah. This is, and I, and I think you know, I really did try to make that happen, and it was such good fun, honestly. Trying really to just was. making sure you absorb it all and just enjoy it. This, yeah. And like you said, not like you didn't enjoy Moose, but if, if you take a, if you, it, it's not difficult to kind of find a, a way back to the enjoyment of what you do. Yeah. It's sometimes you just forget how to enjoy it. And, oh yeah. You know, uh, I, I don't know why that is, but I mean, it's it's funny. At the end of Moose, I was for a, maybe a good year or so after after it all petered out. I was in constant contact with Russell, uh, and I was prodding and poking in a kind of a you know, come on, we could we could do this again. We can record another album. Yeah, we can do some gigs. And I think he said to me, I can't remember if he said it directly or whether it came from somebody else, but I think. He said that um, that you know he, he's had his time. It's let, let, let some younger people have a go now. It's not you know. I think he's one of these people that thinks you know you you had your fun in your twenties. There's, there's always going to be a bunch of twenty somethings coming along. Yeah, you know. For sure. I, I think he was he was quite surprised actually that that I that I started doing Poroshka. There was a kind of a wow. it was a kind of um not it didn't really come from anything he said directly, but there was a there was a sense of really. Yeah, you know, <laughs> are you sure? Yeah. Um, I got, I got, um, I got a sense of that, um, in the nicest possible way. I mean, yeah. he's, a, he's one of the sweetest people you'll ever meet. But I think he was probably thinking, you know, you know, you're an old man. Yeah, at you your know? age. Yeah, yeah. You know, have some dignity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I, I did kind of. I did hanker after Moose continuing for a little bit longer, but it just didn't happen. But, yeah. but like I say, this um, the the first album with Poroshka was all of our best ideas. You know, if we if we'd really thought about it too much, we would have made we wouldn't have made the record. I think Justin and Mickey was coming like, look, come on, we're a new band. You know, if we were a bunch of nineteen year olds and we'd written twelve or thirteen songs, we'd go in the studio and record the best songs and we'd, we'd put it out there. Yeah. Just because we've done all this before several times doesn't mean you can't do that again. And um, so it, it's it doesn't sound. Some songs have hints of of what has come, but what has yeah. come before. But but um, you know, I think the new record is a bit different. You know, I think you know, it is. It's it's a little softer. It's yeah. there's not as much noise going on. In no. fact, from uh, Knife Thrower's Daughter and the transition into Scratching at the Lid, that's my favorite part of the whole album. I Going from that, that from one track to the other, it's, that's really cool.
glad you because it was actually I, I wrote that with that in mind oh I awesome wrote it, I, I wrote it as a kind of a like it's it, it was they weren't sort of glued together they they it was meant to happen that way oh that's and, awesome um, and it was a nice way to start you know it's a gentle start yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> so do you guys start this before the lockdown happened or was this all done yeah. afterwards no what the, the we, we were i think quite lucky in many respects we finished recording or 99 percent of the recording was I, mean, I think we had one keyboard part to do and a cello or something yeah cello part um but it was all done the week of lockdown we were going to go in for one more day and then we got a phone call saying the studio's closed. Well, it's, it's gone into lockdown. Oh, wow. So everything was recorded. Um, and so we thought, well, shit, when are we going to get this mixed? And uh, so we had to wait months until towards the end of the summer when Iggy, the guy that we, we work with in the studio, he was able to go in and he started mixing and sending us mixes. Oh, cool. And yeah, it was great. And And then... It meant that by the early autumn, the album was ready, and we were we were kind of good to go. Um, the problem was fitting it into the schedule, of, because we were hoping to get it out, well, March, April. But the problem is, Simon has told us that there's a lot of problems now with with pressing and uh, getting vinyl pressed yeah. there are very few there are very few pressing plants left in europe and um they'd had some problems last year where they had to delay the release of certain albums because things weren't all in sync you know the, the vinyl wasn't ready when the cd was and blah 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 uh, and the artwork so they said make we will guarantee that everything will be ready for july there'll be, there'll be no hitches there'll be no delays so let's just say middle of july album comes out and it, and it will come out in the middle of July. There won't be any kind of, it's not going to be till August. We right. can guarantee it. We thought let's not take any risks and try and push for a time where it, where it might end up being delayed. So, yeah. So there was a, a period of writing and recording before Christmas. Hang on, let me get this right. Christmas, 2019. Then after the Christmas break, we went in, did some more record uh, writing and recording so we started it before at the end of at the end of 2019 and we just made a we, we made a conscious decision that we wanted it less brutal yeah. <laughs> less <laughs> um you know less drums, um <laughs> and uh, just wanted it a bit more wanted to hear the harmonies and the subtleties a bit more right. and mickey had written two or three songs that wouldn't have been out of place on a lush album to be fair and but we just wanted to uh, maybe, I don't know, get some different sounds involved. It's, yeah. it's quite mellow. There's some pretty, quite very, very pretty things, I would admit. Yeah. Some lovely harmonies. Um, um, I mean, Mickey, there's one thing that she's got that not a, lot of, not a lot of other people have. It's the ability to come up with really unusual harmony lines. Very um, true. You know, it's, sometimes it's almost like a an English folk song from the 1600s or something. It's, That's, you know, you know yeah. I didn't think of that. Like one of my favorite Lush songs is out of control and it's that I can, I absolutely see what you're saying with that. Yeah. There's a, it's not that she particularly listens to a lot of folk music. Um, I mean, I, I listen to more, but, but she's got that. She's always looking for something a little bit different. 
like yeah. trying to steer away from the the obvious and 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 i think on the first album as well there's lots of lots of lovely harmonies but this one in particular i think she's really really nailed it yeah um some dates so you know fingers crossed you know that yeah. that you know, we'll be able to do them in the autumn um but uh oh, that would be wonderful oh yeah i mean it's going to be a long time coming but so many so many venues we've noticed so many gigs so many venues uh booked up around october november december people have, have been putting off and putting off their shows and their tours. Yeah. And I've even seen people saying we can't do November now because th there's everybody's playing in November. Wow. I mean, I think on the, pretty much every city in, in the UK for that November in particular, it's, it's going to be packed out with, with gigs. That's you know? awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Tough, but awesome. Tough. Yeah. It could mean that no one will come and see us, um, or it or it could mean that that people will, people will come or come and see us that would never even have bothered before because they just want to go to a fucking gig. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Want to go to a show? You know? <laughs> so we, we, there might be some positives to that. But you, you mentioned when we first started chatting this morning the possibility of a moose box set. Yeah. So the box set is that they've already started the process of trying to recover tapes from you know previous record companies yeah i think simon's put someone onto it in in like in, in legal terms you know so someone you know like checking out the the contract and the contracts and and what what it would mean in terms of um the legality of everything right but yeah i think the plan is you know we did have four studio albums we've got the sunny and sam which is, you know, a compilation of the first three EPs. Yeah. There are various B-sides. I don't think we'll go down the road of appeal sessions and things like that because I think it's just going to be a bit too much to organize. But we did things okay. like – we did um, – we did, there's a lot of B-sides to singles, and we uh, for the first couple of albums, we gave away a free seven-inch of cover versions. Oh, um, wow. it, we did two cover versions on a free seven inch, like limited edition for the for X, Y, Z, and then the same for Honey Bee. So uh, we'd like mm -hmm. to include those tracks because they, they were really, really good fun. Oh, um, that's awesome. Like a Bobby Gentry song. We had um, Russell's girlfriend at the time, um, Roxanne, she sang the vocals on that. We did, um, we did, um, oh God, Early Morning Rain. We did some country, yeah, we did some some really nice cover. We did, a wire, we did Kidney Bingos, which is a wire song. Oh, um, cool. And um, which which we liked. Um, we did a color box song. We did, we did lots of um, nice little cover versions that we gave away for nothing. So wow. I think we could, we'd probably be looking at maybe a, like it'd be on vinyl, it'll probably be a, a six album box set with all the wow. singles and the b-sides and the freebies if we can get that together so simon said he's happy to put everything on there wow. everything that we want he said if we're going to do it do it properly once and for all nice artwork 
sleeve notes, photos, blah, 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 make it something that somebody would want to own rather than something that's not, you know, something that's cobbled together and, yeah, yeah. you know, so it, it's the rarities. That, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's, so it's got everything on there. Like I say, maybe apart from the peel sessions. Yeah. And then it's kind of like, it draws a line under everything and then we can peacefully go to our graves <laughs> satisfied in the knowledge <laughs> we've, we've left something behind and but, i can um, i can finally get all the moose stuff yes of course yes. that would be great if i could finally get everything yeah yeah initially this was the uh, inspiration simon was saying that he finds it really odd that there's only a couple of our albums available on spotify you can't even find half of our stuff on Spotify. I don't know why that is. I don't know why. I know that it was, um, that Russell had the, the conversation with uh, Le Grand Magistry, the, the American label that put the album out. Surely they must be able to put it up on, it'd be in their interest to put it up on yeah. Spotify. The funny thing is that um, uh, Ru- Russell, as I say, is has, has been the least interested in doing any of this. Wow. Um, you know, he's, He's like, you know, listen, we, we did it once. It was fine. If, if, we, if, if people can't get it, then they can't get it. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> Come on, Russell. What about I, me? I yeah. I, I don't think he means it in a kind of, um, <laughs> it means that we'll be some weird, obscure cult band. I just think he's, I think he just thinks that just, that's just how the way things are. And, yeah. you know, it's just how things are. And um, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling a bit. It's how things are. It's the way things are. And we shouldn't lose any sleep over it. Right. I think it'll be nice to have it out there. I'm excited Um, about it. When you first mentioned it to me a while back, I, I, I just got really excited about it. So to hear that it's the wheels are turning, it's, it's fantastic. It's going to be a slow process, I think, but, and it won't, you know, I mean, obviously it's not going to have to see the light of day maybe till the next year, the end of next year, but because I think it'll take that long to get something like that organized. Oh yeah. You still got to find a bunch of the material. God, yeah, because it would be nice if it's remastered and you know properly done. I don't, you know, you you don't want to have to have recordings that come from CDs or something horrid like that. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, it'd be nice if we got the original tapes yeah. from somewhere. Exactly. You know, even the original the the original um, two inch tape that it went onto, where the record was that the records were cut from originally. They must be somewhere. Yeah, they, they must exist they, somewhere. Uh, my gr- great fear is that you know these things end up thrown into like skips and then end up in landfill. But yeah, um, you know we'll we'll find out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one way or another. Well, where can people follow Peroshka and and when you said the album is, is scheduled to come out in July? July. How can people so, find it? And when when can they start ordering it? Okay, well we've done a video for scratching at the lid we're making a video for every single song oh wow Um, yeah we've decided that uh justin knows this young filmmaker from brighton we've told him we've got little or no money he says i don't care he's a a young guy he's experimental he said he's had the album for a a few months well six months now and he said "I've, i've got ideas for every song i will make you a short film to accompany every track that's Um, amazing yeah, which is really, really nice. Oh, um, and, the exuberance of youth. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> and not performance either. We don't like performance videos, so there'll be like a narrative. So the, the band won't appear in any of the videos. Oh, it's, wow. Um, yeah, so there'll be no, there's going to be no performance element. It'll just be, just be his little weird stories. Yeah. And ideas. <laughs> oh, um, that's awesome, though. 
Yeah, I think it's really, and he said that, that there's a narrative that should run through it, that it will, it will tell a story. So awesome. I, I imagine that there'll be a, the a track for radio that the, I mean, it's sad that we don't release singles anymore, that you can't yeah. buy a, a seven inch vinyl or a, even a CD single, you know, oh, no. anything. The, the fact that it just goes to radio as a track for radio, they play on the radio if they choose to. And then, because, um, you know, the, the, you, you, you say goodbye to everything that we've been talking about, all yeah. the B-sides and the extra tracks that, that you never get to um, to record anymore. And the, the special artwork that goes with it, special covers. and, and Yeah. I miss that. Yeah, I, I miss yeah absolutely. That. Um, colored vinyl, all that yeah. kind of thing. Limited edition releases. It's just the searching for stuff is, is what I miss too. You know, trying to, trying to hunt the stuff down. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we just um, we had all our vinyl in the drum room actually in Ivan's in Ivan's um, music room. We put it down there in a kind of um, we'll put the turntable, all the vinyl in there. When he's not playing his drums, I can go in, play LPs, just vinyl, really really loud. No one will notice. <laughs> um, but the funny thing is that we just didn't. We just, you know, we're in the house. We put on Spotify or yeah. YouTube or whatever or the radio. And um, but recently we, we've just um, we decided that I want to hear vinyl. Yeah. And so we we moved everything up. We bought a new turntable. Uh, we put the speakers up, and we've got all the vinyl back in the house. And we've just started buying vinyl again. And it's things like buying, like I just mentioned, coloured vinyl. Mm -hmm. We got, you know, we we bought. What did we buy recently? The Jane Weaver album. It's on pink vinyl, oh. and you pull it out, and it's, it's just, it's just a, it's a work of art. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's, sound sounds fantastic as well. But you think, okay, this is what I remember. Yeah. And um, so I think I, um, I got a few text messages from Simon Raymond this morning, and they've got a, a Belly Union shop in Brighton where he lives. Oh. Cool. Um, and so you know the, the shop was able to open. Oh, you know, excellent. You know, it's been closed for, for in lockdown for months. And he said, you know, just lovely, just nice to be able to, to have your own little record store and it's open and yeah. um, people are coming in and buying vinyl. But yeah. That's so, awesome. yeah, so everything's, everything's in place. Artwork's all done. The artwork's beautiful. Uh, Chris Big again did the artwork. Um, and um, yeah, so I think we just, kind of awaiting announcement okay and then, um that's well, it where can people get the announcements is it social media uh, aspect for the band or is it bella union so bella union will will make an announcement and then we'll put it up on our um we'll put it up on our because we have um mickey will put it on twitter of course yeah we have the band twitter account her twitter account then we've got instagram and facebook so i imagine we'll just put it all up probably with a link i guess to the the first track for radio okay um see i don't think we're gonna announce the gigs until nearer the time right. i mean but fingers crossed that'll be in the autumn again fingers crossed means something different now doesn't it I mean, it really does mean <laughs> think, fingers fucking crossed yeah exactly you know, because and, and a fourth a fourth wave in this country and um and then you know we're, we're, we're shut down again for months so yeah. we've just got to hope yeah well I appreciate you spent so much time with me and we've gone through so much history. It's been amazing. Absolute pleasure, honestly. Really, Thank really. You. you know, really, honestly. Like I say, I'm, it's, it's Saturday. It's, I've got, no, I've, got, I've, got, I've, got, I've got nothing better to do. <laughs> no, no, no.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 